Hello, good evening and welcome everybody to another edition of the Magic Sandwich Show. I am your host, DPR Jones. Um, I've been for a rhinoplasty and now I look like the guy off Baywatch. I can't remember his name. I, I nearly accidentally called him Dustin Hoffman, but that wouldn't be as flattering for me, would it, if I did that? What's his name? Oh, it doesn't matter. David Hasselhoff? David Hasselhoff. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm here to flatter myself. and I, I, Instead of saying I look like David Hasselhoff, I say I look like Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> that's, that's not great. Um, right, okay. Um, right, today, um, shall we start off with um, anything interesting that you've heard on the news or read on the internet recently? Um, all I can say is, DPR, you're... Um your facelift was a wonderful success. You look ten years younger. Yeah, and ten years more attractive. Oh, and I talk, I talk differently as well, because before I would talk like this. I, you, I've asked you repeatedly, and you are not answering the question. <laughs> That's dead on. <laughs> uh, it's because we're all muted. <laughs> right. Um, so, anyone got anything interesting science-wise as I relocate upstairs? Well, mine's not science-wise. Well, By the way, we've got uh, Whitney looks to be online on Skype. I wonder if we can get him to join the call. Um, definitely. If we can get Donnie yeah. in, that would be fantastic. Hmm. Uh, so I, I, it's not science-related, but I wanted to talk about uh, the fact that uh, agnostics, atheists, non-believers, whatever, finally have representation in Congress. Uh, so her name is... Kirsten Sinema. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, she is, oh my God, younger than me. Um, she's a, a very attractive woman. She's uh, Arizona's ninth congressional district. Uh, she's just been elected. Uh, she refused to use a Bible in the swearing-in ceremony. Um, she's uh, very, you know, gay-friendly. She's openly bisexual. Uh, and she's currently the only non-theist to ever, or to serve in the 113th United States Congress. So that's kind of a move forward. 20% of the population, uh, roughly, uh, have no religious affiliation, and they finally have a voice in Congress. I think that's a good thing. That's maybe uh, an outcome of the reason rally. Who knows? Well, it's, it's a bit easier having a bisexual woman than having a homosexual man, isn't it? Because doesn't the Bible only forbid men to have sex with men? It doesn't actually say that women can't get it on together, does it? Uh, I, I think that's right. There's also a thing about, um, uh, what's it called, uh, sleeping with someone else's, the adultery. Yep. The adultery is only sleeping with somebody else's wife. It doesn't include um, mistresses or hookers or anything like that. It's only, the only thing that is forbidden is the biblical sense of adultery, which is sleeping with somebody else's wife. There's always this stereotype that men are really attracted to lesbians and bisexuals, and then I just imagine this scene of a um, religious preacher being really offended at some kind of uh, sex scene where all these homosexuals. Yeah, you, you would be amazed how much they have to watch to <laughs> just to make sure that they really are offended. <laughs> and they're, they're like chucking them all out of the building, then they walk into another room and it's just got these lesbians, and they go, Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> I've got no problem with this. <coughs> but I think, you know, we, we, we would 
do well to have a conversation about this within our community. The, the fact that we, we are a larger group than the kind of people that we, we tend to interact with, that, that non-theist and atheist are not the same thing. Rationalizer, you cut yourself off again. Yeah, I'm talking to my wife as well. Oh, okay. <laughs> but the, the, the last uh, study I saw was October 9th, 2012, uh, in the Washington Post. Um, about 19.6% of Americans say they are, quote, nothing in particular, agnostic or atheist, up from about 8% in 1990. So that is really a fast-growing group, but only a very small percentage of those people would refer to themselves as atheists or agnostics. So nothing in particular or none uh, is such a huge group, and yet atheism is such a small subcategory of that. What, what's going on with the other 13, 14, 15 percent of people. Oh, you didn't bring this guy in, did you? Oh, no, no. Hang on. I don't want to don't look at him. There you go. Sorry. Hey, that's better. <laughs> I mean, why is the before and after photo? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's almost universal that most people don't actually think about these things at all. Whether they're religious or not religious is... It, you know, if you would divide up how much time they actually spend thinking about things and you would ask people how much time of that you put into religion, into working out whether it's the right religion, whether it's correct, whether no religion is best, it's going to be almost um, infinitesimally small. You know, maybe, maybe not even 1% or something um, will be spent doing this sort of thing. And... So I think it's just a really low priority for people about um, whether they uh, call themselves religious, yeah, no particular religion, religion or whatever, because in practice, they just don't go to church, they don't have any religion. Why should they actually get that worked out about what works up about what they call themselves? Well, it's interesting. There are, you know, more non-religious than, say, Mormons plus Jewish people plus probably Muslims in the United States. And yeah, but you would hope that they people, actually. What? You would hope that they actually worry about what religion. Yeah, I mean, they they spend what probably a couple hours a week or something uh, uh, thinking about religion, maybe which is probably hugely more than the religious nuns do. Right. Right. It's, it's, not a, it's not a value that people don't vote on, right? It's just that we, we can't seem to get any representation. They're, you know, within Congress, you've got one person. Um, um, I just, I, we, we got someone in the chat saying nuns. Um, yeah, that's nuns. The, when, when they ask them what religion, they say none. Um, yeah, it's in N-O-N-E-S, uh, nuns. And, and worldwide, you're looking at about, I think, the, the Pew, um, what is it, Pew Foundation, whatever they are, uh, estimated at about 1.1 billion people um, are non-religious. And, of course, that's much more outside of the U.S. Probably a lot of Asia would, would fit into that category. Yeah, I mean, I, I've always raised an eyebrow at that in that it seems to be sort of fairly constant across cultures, um, you know, that actually have, how should we say, strong um, religious 
organized religious tendencies that there does always seem to be about 10% who fall into the religious nun categories. I yeah, I mean, it's the, it's the third largest category in the, the survey. You've got Islam at 1.5 billion, uh, and then the nuns at 1.1 billion, uh, Christianity at 2.1 billion. Um, and of course, I, I, I can't speak to the accuracy of those figures, but I, I think the general magnitude of them is probably correct. Uh, and again, I, it seems as though we, I guess we, are the most underserved uh, of all those categories in terms of representation. Uh, and it, it's odd, you know, the numbers really go up too if you look at people under the age of 30, uh, where the percentage is about 30% in the U.S. Uh, so again, you've got an entire age category of people who are even less represented by those views. Now, I suspect that you know if, if the statistics uh, of of Congress people are essentially representative of somewhat, at least, uh, of a subset of the the U.S. population in general, that there are a number of closeted non-believers in Congress. But of course, they can't afford to talk like that. They can't afford to admit that. Uh, and even with uh, uh, Kirsten, if I'm saying her name right, uh, she doesn't she doesn't embrace the term atheist or agnostic. She considers herself a non-theist. You know, she doesn't want to swear on the Bible, but at the same same time, she issued a statement saying that atheist didn't describe her life and mission very accurately. And I I have to say that statement applies to me as well. I, it's a term that extends to me, I think, de facto, but it doesn't really describe who I am or, or even what my beliefs are because it's, it's a negative categorization. It's, it's a what I don't believe, um, but it doesn't really talk about my point of view or my process. Uh, and I guess I would probably, if, if surveyed, uh, fall into the nuns category rather than sort of the, the strict atheist category. What do you guys think? Yeah. I mean, the way that I've always viewed it is that um, you could say that the methodology is a variety of things, uh, but let's just call it rational, rationalism is the methodology and atheism is the conclusion. But it's, if you like, a, a rather specific conclusion to do with the existence of, existence of God or gods, and it really doesn't have an agenda you can't really represent it, and the only thing that you might get out of it is that making decisions based on religion, uh, which is, you know, fundamentally that some magic invisible being needs to be appeased in or um, gratified in some way, shape, or form, is a bad way to make decisions in government. But other than that, it's fairly difficult to see how you could uh, represent atheists. I, d I really don't understand why people need representation in this way. You know, sure, isn't the government... No, I, I do. Um, no, it, well, let I me think the rationalists need representation. No, I just think that, like, you should... The government should be concentrating on stuff like how much should we spend on healthcare, how much do we need to spend on roads, and stuff like this. Why does it matter what percent of the country is Christian versus what percent of it is Hindu? You know, you, you shouldn't be dividing stuff up based on whether they're Christian or Hindu. You should just be giving the nation what it needs to function as a, so a society. Yeah, but the thing is, many nations um, have 
for a long time had religion intertwined into their governmental decisions. Uh, you know, two words, holy war. Um, the, the outcome hasn't always been pretty. I mean, what I think they should do on these, on these surveys and censuses and things, instead of saying which religion are you or which religion do you practice regularly or anything, just ask them to tick a box. Which of these statements do you think is true? One, Muhammad was the messenger of God. Two, Jesus is the son of God. Three, Vishnu made the earth out of a lotus flower, and so on and so on. And at the end, I don't think any of them are true. And then, no, 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 it's turtles all the way down. <laughs> you can't fool me. Because, you know, there's so, there's so many people that automatically in the UK say, I'm a Christian, because it's like they see themselves as Church of England, because that's the official default religion that you are, even if you've never given it any thought. Which is what I did for many, many decades. Well, not many decades, I'm only 40, but I say two decades. And you just don't think about it. But then when you see a statement, do you think Jesus walked on water, came back from the dead, made some magic fish sandwiches, then you suddenly think, I'm going to... Well, and your typical CV reply is, who is Jesus? <laughs> <laughs> well, that, you know, no, you know who he is, but until you actually think about what the claim actually is, you... You know, it just doesn't occur to you. It didn't occur to me. Well, no, I mean, you're entirely right that in, in Britain, religion is essentially, it's the wallpaper. It's that superficial um, to the point where if you were to ask these people, uh, have you read the Bible? It's probably something like one in a hundred have actually read the Bible in England. And those who actually read the Bible and came to the informed decision that this was the word of God is probably 10%. Yeah, it, it's almost a non-existent fraction, um, actually think about it. They're just culturally Christian because it's, it's, it's deeply intertwined with the country that, you know, you look out on the green fields of England in summertime across the open fields and you see all the little villages, all with their little church steeples. It's very heavily ingrained into um, the people. It's, it's, it's built into the architecture. Um, but the number of people... Uh, who actually go to church is, oh, I don't know what you reckon, 10%? 10% regular church goes in England? Maybe? Yeah, it's not very high anyway, is it? Difficult to call that a Christian nation, you know? They, they basically go for christenings and weddings. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's that old thing about there are the, um, the people who go to church four times in a lifetime, and it's for christenings, weddings... I forget what the third one is, and funerals. Uh, the third one is robbing the lead off the roof. Obviously, <laughs> 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 the church, loads of times as a kid. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> yeah, right. Uh, the, uh, I think um, a lot of people tend to identify more with Christianity in the UK when people like Anjum Chowdhury go and burn poppies at, uh, at the return of British troops or things like this. And they're calling out for Islamic states, and then all of a sudden, everyone decides, "No, we're a Christian country. I'm a Christian. We can't have that." And they uh, feel. I, mean, that, I, you know, I think the thing that really pisses people off about burning poppies and such like is these are still events within living memory, um, and they they were for the people who lived through it uh, very uh, severe and very traumatic sacrifice uh, that. 
uh, well, 50 million people died in Europe as a consequence of World War II. And a lot of people younger than us actually died for um, what came out of it, died, if you like, for the, the, the freedom of Britain. And that's why we have things like uh, Remembrance Day. And to actually piss on symbols like that, um, you can see how people would be a lot more um, uh, ready to take offence at that sort of... I, I don't think it's no, a no, religious thing that they're taking offence at. No, it's not that they're taking... No, that's not what I mean. I don't mean they're taking offence because they're Christians. What I'm saying is, is they take offence because what these other people, they're claiming to do it in the name of their religion... And then they see that as the evil religion, and then all of a sudden it's we're Christians. They shouldn't yeah, do that. We're Christians. I, 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 what, Christian what, what is the justification that they have for burning poppies? What justification do they have? What they're yeah. what they're trying to do is um, they're trying to emphasise how many innocent people are being killed um, by British campaigns in places like Afghanistan. Um, uh, well, I mean, surely the way to do that would be to wear a different coloured poppy. Uh, or something, um, yep. you know, irrespective of what happened but, there, you can't actually take away from the fact that a lot of people did actually sacrifice their lives in World War Two for the outcome that we got. Yeah, I think, though, that if you were wearing a different colour poppy, we wouldn't have heard of it, would we? Because <laughs> you know, no, today it, and yesterday they're protesting outside the French embassy for the oppression... Of, for the um, mockery of Islam and the oppression of Muslim women by not letting them wear um, the face veils and stuff. They're down in London yesterday and today outside the French embassy. And it's like, we haven't heard of that. But, you know, if they'd been down there burning poppies in front of war veterans or something, it'd have been all over the news. But it's politics as a sport. Politics and cultural clash as two football teams before a match, right? I, I wear my team's colors. Uh, here in the U.S., it's, it's Democrat versus Republican, right? And, and you challenge anyone to tell you exactly why they're a Democrat, and it'll come down to one or two or three issues. But most people are completely unaware of what the total platform is. But it comes down to my team's going to beat your team or my culture is going to beat your culture, in the same way as, as Mankies versus whoever they play, whoever their archenemy is, it becomes a matter of identity and conflict, uh, and my team's going to beat your team. And you see people cheering. This is sort of the heart of patriotism, is it comes down to that same basic sentiment of my side is better than your side, in-group, out-group, uh, superiority contest. Really, it, it's, it's kind of sad that our politics and our, our cultures run that same kind of, uh, you know, soccer mentality, that same kind of football mentality. Having said that, I mean, I know exactly what you're saying, and it is almost a paradox of, I, I hate to use these wishy-washy terms of the human condition, that... Um, mankind is both at, at its best and its worst in these moments, right? I mean, you're right that uh, this uh, pointless rallying around us and them mentality uh, can be very divisive, but it has also led to <clears throat> arguably some of the most iconic um, achievements of mankind, you know, notably putting man on the moon 
uh, which Sagan cynically and probably very correctly said was just basically, you know, extensive missile testing. Um, you know, it, it was done to piss off the Russians. It was done to show that we're better than you. And it is probably the iconic um, uh, moment of our time was actually a man walking on the moon. You know, it's, it's ironic that when things are at their worst, mankind's most at its best. I don't mind that kind of uh, patriotism, though. You know, if Anjum Chowdhury and his fellows turned up at the French embassy, uh, rather than or turned up at the return of the troops, and rather than burning poppies, they were inventing new cures for cancer and stuff. So there you go, we're cleverer than you, we've cured cancer. You know, obviously, I'd, I'd have been much more impressed than at burning poppies. So, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm OK with, uh, with that kind of Cold War... Um, try to develop great technology to beat each other to the moon and stuff. Um, but football mentality, I mean, it is in people. I do remember seeing um, seeing on the news, I think it was the World Cup in France, and the England team were over there, and the German team. I think we were probably going to play each other as well. And then you got the England team walking down the road looking for the German team, and they're all going to have a fight. But the French police had uh, pre-planned it and they uh, cordoned off part of the street and they got all the England fans up a dead end and uh, basically stuck them in there for a few hours. And without a common enemy to fight against, they all started to split up into their their city football teams and then they all started fighting each other. (laughs) I just thought, you know, you could get down to there's only one team left in there and then they'd all be killing the guy with the ginger hair or something, wouldn't they? <laughs> Why not? And the world would be a happier place. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, you know, it, it gets in the way of a dialogue. When you need peace, when you need um, two sides to get along, that kind of very unnuanced my team versus your team, you know, uh, I, I vote for this guy because at least he had an Obama, you know, uh, that kind of thing drives so much of world conflict. This, this will never get along because my culture has to win. Christianity is better than Islam. Islam is better than Christianity. And that's really what it comes down to. Why is Islam better than Christianity? Well, because it's true and yours is wrong. Yeah, that, that very simplistic uh, red versus blue is, I think, at the heart of most of the horrible things that have happened. Now, I think we could have landed on the moon uh, for very different reasons, you know, for the, for the true spirit of exploration. And it would have been a nobler thing, and maybe it wouldn't have ever happened. But that, that's still the problem. That's still the problem is that we're only motivated by our intention to beat up the other guy or to, to win against the other team. Uh, it would have been much more admirable if it had been done purely for the act of doing it. I do remember seeing some studies about this, which, you know, there's only sort of peripheral stuff in the actual uh, mainstream media. Um, that people, when they watch sporting events, it, it is almost war by proxy. Um, that when your team wins, you actually feel really good. When your team loses, you feel really bad. You are almost psychologically invested um, with something bigger. And yeah, the, the the reckoning was this is something that people actually. Um, 
you need, and this is why why sports do so well. Can I wrap this back to what what something that Rationalizer said early on? And and let me take the DPR role for a moment. Uh, this is a live call-in show. If anyone wants to call in, send a request to the Magic Sandwich Show uh, and include in the description. Uh, am I saying this right? Uh, what what the nature of You're your doing well. Ah, I thought I tried to, to send a to friend request to Magic your... Sandwich Show on Skype, and in the comments. Um, put what you would like to discuss. But I want to wrap it back to what Rationalizer was saying earlier about why should we care if, say, you know, a certain minority is not represented in Congress or in whatever the, the elected officials. I, I think that I want someone who has some of the same experience as I do because there are going to be conflicts. Inevitably, there are going to be conflicts. And I want someone in Congress who I feel has the same experiences and approaches the issues from the same perspective that I do. And I think you can't represent everyone in a, a group of whatever, 570-something people, but you should be able to represent fairly large groups uh, so that the minority doesn't get trampled on by this really dominant political group. Uh, and that's why, you know, if you live in a country with a mixture of different religions, you would expect some representation. That doesn't have to be truly proportionate, but at least a voice for Hindus uh, somewhere, a voice for Jews, a voice for uh, each different perspective on things uh, so that you don't have a ruling class, so that you don't, you don't have the, the rights of the minorities just completely trampled because no one's there to speak for them. Well, the thing is, though, is you'd have to start voting people in like you know i'm going to vote him in because he's a christian or this guy because he's got the same religion as me but the guy without the same religion as you might have better policies it it, it all seems a bit silly to me to actually be going down that route um you know voting people in for sharing the same theistic position It, 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 just, it just doesn't make any sense to me at all. I can't see why people would want to vote for someone just because they hold the same point of view as to how the universe originated and what's going to happen after they're dead. Because well, one's really, the really in the past and one's really, really in the future. I know in your case, like, you know, with being a, with being a non-theist, a non-religion, that's kind of slightly different. But, you know, I'm, I'm sure you wouldn't vote them in just because of that. They'd have to be... It'd have to be the the, um, the final straw in a comparison between two candidates, surely. Sure, sure. You, you, I mean, you you make the assumption that there are equally qualified people, but one that represents a position that is historically underrepresented. Now, you know, I hate to say this, but um, what you're describing could could just as easily fit the Hunger Games, right? If you've read the book or seen the movie, the idea that all of the elected officials come from a single district or a single background or a single uh, point of view, you end up with uh, people with no rights, people with no representation. It's not democracy if the people aren't represented. And, and I think one of the fundamental failures of the, the U.S. democracy is that it's a, a group of white, rich lawyers, right? That, that it, the well, principle was a well-informed populace uh, we could draw from those well-informed, knowledgeable people, and that they would speak for their district or they would speak for their um, their group. Uh, actually, we've got an unusually low representation of white, rich lawyers in the show today, haven't we? <laughs> 
Yeah. No, he's, he's not rich. He wouldn't live where he did if he was rich. But if you if you start getting people to um, take so much input, take too much, um, put so much importance on things like the religion and things, you end up with people um, of religion in the House of Lords. How many people are in the House of Lords just because they're Christian? I the, just because they believe a specific story they're entitled to have some kind of moral opinion on which laws get passed in the UK. Uh, I mean, uh, just to shift it back to America for a second, I mean, I, I think yeah, concordance... I, I would phrase your point slightly differently, that um, you know, de facto the Congress is a minority of people who can get themselves elected. Um, and so you, those are the attributes. The, the attributes of people who get themselves elected is what you find in Congress. Um, and yeah, you're right. They tend to be, uh, yeah, rich white guys um, and lawyers. Yeah, particularly lawyers and business owners. Yeah, um, and I, I would also say that yeah, whilst that might have worked well when America was first put together. Really, the problem comes is that the financial pressures on those 500 people uh, have essentially distorted the system. It's the positive feedback that if those people are, say, controlling a trillion-dollar military budget, just say for sake of argument, um, that that military, it, it's worth that military industry spending some huge amount of money to lobby uh, Congress because, yeah, they can, with a stroke of the pen, change the budget by a billion dollars and no one will even bat an eyelid. You know, this this leads to a question that, Thunder, I, I've, I've always wanted to sort of chat with you about it, and that is why does diversity matter? What, why should we care if a group contains a very homogenous set of people, people with one background? Um, you know, which, which do you want uh, designing a product? Do you, do you want 20 engineers or do you maybe want 10 engineers, four marketing people, you know, a salesperson, uh, you know, and people with a, a broader variety of experiences and backgrounds, or is it better to have a specialist team what 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 are your thoughts on that i i think it largely depends on what you're trying to do i mean this recently sort of came up um with uh, i i saw some one of these secular leaders i think it was ron lindsay was saying he wanted suggestions about how to actually get more diversity into the atheist or secular community i forget which right. subsection he was talking about Right. But, I mean, as far as I was concerned, um, that was just completely the wrong focus. In that, which, if you define your goals as actually getting more feet on the ground, getting more people involved in the movement, um, and you are a minority, uh, which depends, depending on which numbers you look at, somewhere between 2 and 10%, the majority of people who come into this movement in America do so, I think, primarily because they've worked out that religion is bullshit and they want somewhere uh, where they can let their hair down like that. 
And I really don't think that um, encouraging diversity is really even a factor that these people should be worrying about in that um, the, I, I don't see it as a significant inhibitor to people joining the secularist movement is that they, they look at the secular movement and say, well, there's not enough diversity in there, otherwise I would I would join it. I mean, I think it, it's fairly simple that they they well, yeah this religion's bullshit. I want to go somewhere where I can sort of uh, share my experiences of how I spent years of my life in this essentially trapped in this community where I didn't really believe any of this stuff. Uh, and I, I, I want I want to go and um, where I can actually let my hair down, so to speak. I think, though, you would feel very uncomfortable in, say, I don't know, the Arab American Atheist Organization. If you went to their meetings, I think you would feel a little less comfortable than you would at a group that didn't have that kind of explicit restriction, that, that wasn't uh, by itself homogenous. Uh, uh, even it, if you shared a viewpoint, I think you would probably prefer a group of people similar to yourself, or a wide variety of people in which you fit comfortably. W would you agree? Well, well, the nearest analogy that I can have, yeah, and I, I don't really get it anymore, but when I first moved to America, um, uh, I, I think there's a sort of psychological switch that tells you they're all Americans and I'm not American. And, the, you know, that that's... The, there is something that goes off in your brain that tells you that this is therefore going to be a more hazardous environment. Right? So I think that's the feeling uncomfortable bit that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, since then I've, I've gone through all sorts of cultures and I've, you know, I don't really ever feel excluded. I mean, I've never really come across a community where they've, actually made a point of, you know, no white British guys or no guys with long hair or any shit like that. So I've I've never really come across any community that actually cared about um, what you looked like or whether you're a man or a woman. Uh, you know, these were just never really issues that even came onto the table. Now, psychologically, you know, when I first went um, to America and you... you there, there is a degree of uncomfortableness there. All right, you know, you look the same as them, and unless you open your mouth, no one's going to be able to tell the difference. But you still do feel the psychological pressure. But I mean, I, I think it's mostly uh, self-inhibiting once you actually realise that there aren't actually people out there trying to exclude you. Um, you just don't worry about it anymore. I just I, I think that any group that is composed of diverse people is by itself more productive and interesting to be a part of mm -hmm. than than a single homogenous group unless that homogeneity is the focus of the group. Uh, but by doing that, you do exclude certain people. Um, so having an open community that that has a lot of diversity, I think it's its own its own reward or its own now, goal. I, I know what you're talking about there, um, and I agree completely, but the thing is that what usually makes the diverse groups more interesting is that people have all these different experiences. They So if you like, they're pulled um, 
uh, knowledge, as it were, their pulled cultural experiences extends much further. Um, rather than if everyone has actually all lived their entire lives within 20 kilometers of, I don't know, Norwich or something. Um, yeah, they all share the same experiences, the same culture and everything, but it's fairly monochromatic. It's uh, not that interesting. I mean, it would be fascinating to have an, an atheist movement that, that appeals outside of what has become the core demographic, which is sort of nerdy, <laughs> nerdy white guys like me. Um, you know, artists and and it doesn't have to be democratic demographic enforcement. We don't have to say we need exactly 50% women. I think that is the wrong approach, and and that's where I deviate from what a lot of these sort of um, I don't know diversity discussions, uh, you know, women in secularism, which I think is a great idea. Um, but I don't think it needs to be pure demographic representation. I just think that we want everyone to feel welcome, even if that comes down to making sure that the, the pioneers for any particular minority group, if it's women or it's um, Arabs or it's uh, Asians or it's, it's uh, you know, African-American people, we, we want all of those people, I think, to have a sense of belonging to that group without any barriers to their participation. And that grows and it, it snowballs. And I, I think, Thunder, that you agree with this. And that's why I've always wanted you to just sort of come out and say that you also value diversity and you're not, you're not in any way in support of a position that would make someone feel uncomfortable at a general atheist, rationalist, secular, skeptical meeting. I mean, is that a, is that a fair statement? Um, yes and no. I mean, I've never really seen anyone who was excluded or made to feel unwelcome at one of these secular meetings. They, uh, yeah, all right, I've, I've not sort of gone, gone looking for it, but I've never seen any sort of systematic, uh, I, I've never seen anyone discriminated against by skin color or sex. Um, I've got a fairly limited experience of these things, but they seem to be um, the, the overwhelming <clears throat> thing that people share, the bond that people share at these meetings, or it's been my experience, is they've lived in religiously repressive environments, um, and now they're not there, and they're really letting their head out and having a good time. Oh, we've got a caller that's come on. Um, can you hear us, caller? Hello? Um, this is, uh, this caller, a bit confusing, wants to discuss crocoduck-momosexual <laughs> priests. Yeah. First, there's two set, uh, separate questions. One is Duke of Gardens. Uh, a while back, I saw a show where you talked that viruses could transfer genes from one animal to another. Uh, I'm sorry, what, what transfers genes from one animal uh, to another? Uh, you, I think you said it was viruses that introduced yes. genes from one creature to another. Would That's it correct. theoretically be possible to find a duck with crocodile DNA in it through that mayor, through that system? Well, and how do you know it's crocodile DNA? I mean, what, what makes it fundamentally uh, well, crocodile I, I DNA that came from a crocodile? No, I, I, I don't know. I'm not an expert. I'm asking you if, it is, <laughs> if it's possible. And if yes, can we find it and present it to the uh, crocodile guy? Can we find it? <laughs> is this because you're trying to prove that you've got crocodile DNA in you? And that's yeah. why you've got this picture of a crocodile man? 
Yeah, yeah, from one lizard to another, I, I, way to go, man. You're a dark overlord of some kind. We, do, we discussed Crocoducks on the Gin and Tonic show yesterday, and um, I thought it was quite funny that um, by turning on non-coding um, DNA sequences in birds, they were able to get them to grow calcium teeth, which... Um, and tails. Which, you know, if you, get, if you get the right kind of duck, it would look a bit like a crocodile, wouldn't it? Yeah. But if you we put tail find, on it, you put some teeth if, in the bill, and if what do you we get? would find a duck of, uh, of which we could prove there's crocodile DNA in it, well, then the crocodile is genetically possible. So that whole discussion, stupid discussion about the crocodile, uh, is uh, out of the window. Do you think that we actually need scientific evidence to prove no, that the crocodile no, no, argument that's, is that's, silly? That's, uh, I was just wondering <laughs> if it was possible. So I, I, that's why. I, Put the question to the God, Edwin, I need an $8 million research grant and six months, and I'll get you your crocodile. $8 million and six months of work, and I'll get you a crocodile. Maybe we should make a Kickstarter out of that. <laughs> would it be a live one or a stuffed one? Because if the requirement is it doesn't have to be alive, I'll do it for half the price. <laughs> yeah, but that was one thing. The other thing was about um, uh, child abuse and homosexuality uh, in the church, and this is a story my grandmother to told me a long time ago. Uh, my, the brother of my grandfather had a friend who was homosexual, and in that time, even in the Netherlands, it was totally unaccepted. And that friend of him went to a confession to ask the priest what he should do. Should he come out, tell his family uh, what to do? The, the priest said, you have three options. You have one option, you come out, live a heavy life, go to hell. Option two is you live the lie and hope you don't go to hell. And option three is for you to join the priesthood, take the vow of celibacy, and God will make all your feelings um, of sexual desire disappear and you have no problem at all. Uh, do you think that... And in the Netherlands, most of the child abuse within the Catholic Church that was reported was in the 60s and the 70s. Do you think people might have joined the church thinking actually that taking a vow would uh, solve their problem? Probably. No. <laughs> yeah, because uh, they should, if it did, they should employ it in prisons where they're going to release pedophiles. And they say, do you vow you'll never do it again? And, well, I promise. I promise I won't. Uh, yeah, well, we must trust them. In fact, let's give them a job working with children and not tell the parents as well. Have you ever seen the figures on the, uh, the settlements that have been made to date? Uh, it, it's really quite shocking. I, I think it's quite shocking. Uh, by, by two different estimates, uh, it's been, been estimated that within the last 50 or so years, the Catholic Church alone has paid out uh, somewhere between two billion and three billion U.S. dollars in settlements uh, to keep people from openly talking about uh, re religious abuse, and that, that's included over 300 specific allegations. But that's three billion dollars. Now, mind you, in the U.S. at least, those are tax-deducted or tax-free donations that were made and then spent on uh, hush money to allow this to continue to go on. Uh, and, and I think that is so incredibly shocking. Imagine the, the level of 
uh, scandal that, that that involves financially, if nothing else, that $3 billion of uh, donations to the church have been used to prevent the scandal from surfacing. Ugh. Yes, but uh, it seems uh, very much to be a Catholic thing at the moment. Uh, is the vow of celibacy something that might cause it to be more prevalent in the Catholic Church than in others? I think quite likely, yes. And I, I think it probably doesn't follow quite as, quite as directly as you're saying, you know, if I go to the Catholic Church, I can do this. I think a lot of people think that if they, you know, devote their lives to God somehow, that the feelings that they're having will go away, that it's some sort of a, you know, a, a new life for them, or they're so tortured by their own consciences or, or their societal um, mores that, that they seek refuge in some place where, you know, they're completely trusted or they can be washed clean. I think that the Catholic faith probably does encourage, to some extent, wrongdoing followed by forgiveness, right? Because they, they formalize that process to make it very easy to be expunged of horrible things you have done in the past. Uh, and that's a great recruitment tool for them. Unfortunately, it recruits the kind of people who have done terrible things in their past. Thunder? I've really not going to answer the word on that. All right. All right when uh, the Pope came to... Um, Birmingham in the UK and there, there were all these apologies going on about how we've messed up and we're really sorry um, we should have released this information to stop it from happening we should have given it to the police and yet at that very moment they were still refusing to release the files that they still had so he's standing there saying I'm sorry I didn't do it but I'm going to carry on not doing it completely about self-interest I think the the thing was is that when you control someone's sex if you're going to base some kind of mind control on guilt and feeling guilt for doing a strong um, natural compulsion like a sexual urge so that you have to go back and be forgiven for being very natural it could be quite a successful thing but I think that with the Catholic Church they kind of took it a little bit too far to an extremity and it's just really backfired on them. I'm not saying that molesting children is the natural outcome of never having sex. Um, it's just that I think that... I don't, know, I don't know exactly what the correlation is about, whether it is people joining the church to dedicate their lives to God so that he'll cure them or whatever, but... I think the, the obsession that the Catholic Church has with sex is just, is obscene. What I kind of implies what it might be is people who think uh, that uh, if they go the way of becoming a priest and going celibate, see it as a way escape or as a way to escape from facing their own sexuality. I don't have to tell my family if I become a priest, I just don't have sex at all. Yeah, I think that's probably not unlikely. Okay. Let's see, there was, oh, we've got priests, crocodiles, 
And was it momosexual that you said? Yeah. Momo. Dabbing error. <laughs> I don't know. What's momosexual? Uh, that's a way of a dabbing error. <laughs> oh, okay. So monosexual. <laughs> I was thinking momosexual. It's like, you know, what, what's this going to be interesting? No, I, I think he might have meant homosexual. Oh, homosexual priests, of course. I thought it was momosexual crocodile priests. <laughs> oh, I didn't know what he wanted. No, <laughs> <laughs> um, no. English, English isn't my first language, and I'm not the best at it. That's okay. <laughs> um, now, the, uh, talking about, um, as we were earlier, different secular groups and things, um, there's um, someone who would like to come on and talk about sectarian divides. Um, this would be um, to do with um, Protestants and Catholics in Northern Ireland. Also earlier, Thunderfoot, um, there was a, we, we briefly touched on the subject of YouTube politics and sexism and uh, a name that a name that I was really bored of, which was somebody Watson and things. Is this something that you would uh, be prepared to take a call on, or would you like to avoid it? I don't care. Okay, we'll, we'll do that shortly then. Okay, welcome, Sky's the Limit. You wanted to talk about sectarianism. Hi, everybody. Thanks very much for taking the call. Um, I'm not quite sure I can follow the crocoduck humour. <laughs> I should have prepared a few jokes. Um, but it, it's what you were saying uh, about the sectarian divide in terms of even your analogy about football and that sort of thing. Um, I'll tell you what, it's, it's as much a statement, but you can develop it into a question if you like. Some of you may be aware that um, in my part of the world, um, for the last 40 days, there have been nightly riots with police injured, injured in a place called Belfast in Northern Ireland. which is a real disappointment um, after 15 years of trying to make peace. But it's just that oftentimes... It's in regard to, I get it posed to me all the time. It's like, Sky, why do you persist um, being an atheist activist? What does it mean to you? Why can't you just live and let live? And I know that oftentimes, I, forgive me, it's a bit partisan, but oftentimes the huge, like reference to the crocodile thing, which is obviously, you know, creationism and the American interest. Um, I'm awfully sorry. I really am. I, but I'm not American. I think he's frozen. Yeah, I, I thought that he was pausing for a really long time for us to laugh. <laughs> dramatic really pause. Bad, I was about to joke. say that that is one of the most poorly timed, massively dramatic pauses. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> let me I'm sorry, just, Edwin. Let can me can you hang up point. or? I was, uh, I was just rationalizing. Sorry, I, I just don't get it. I, <laughs> I don't get it. I don't get it. Look, uh, look at the rest of the show. Have a good time. Thank you, Edwin. Thank you, Edwin. Um, right, there's. Uh, so in that case, seeing as you are willing to bring uh, discuss the subject of Miss um, Watson, or should I say Ms. Watson, um, I'll bring this person in. Is no God. Hi there. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me in the call. Um, am I audible to everyone? Yep, fine. Great stuff. Um, thunder. I'd, I'd like to know, in relation to um, your past two videos, namely, um, why is feminism, uh, or is feminism point, poisoning atheism part one and part two, um, you took um, an extract from a clip that um, 
Rebecca, or rather, you took an extract of Rebecca Watson speaking at what I presume is a conference. Um, I'd like to know why you didn't include the context of that clip, um, as it appears to me that you, in doing what you did and um, representing her the way that you did, that you did take her out of context, and I'd like to know why you did that. I disagree that I took her out of context. Okay, um, let me let me explain why I believe that. In the clip that you played, um, you played um, a very short per portion of her talking about. Yeah, I, I, um, I've got to. I've got to just get to the fucking point. Um, you, you're going to comment that this is boring. Who cares? Right. If it's a point of pedantry, just wait for a second. If it's a point of pedantry, no one cares. It's okay. Right? If you've got a substantive problem with what the, the, with the clip that I took was actually representative of her hour-long speech, you're more than welcome to go and watch it. I have watched part of it. A sufficient part you of it. You watched part of it. Did you watch all of that? I watched enough of it such that I can say that the clip that you took was not representative of her and placed her in a very poor light, somewhat unfairly. In uh, which case, I absolutely categorically disagree with you. Okay, um, now, I, I, encourage everyone, I, I encourage everyone to go and watch the video and to form your own opinions, but unless you've got something else to bring that is irreconcilable differences, and I don't think anyone actually cares to actually haggle out the minutiae here. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't think that you speak for everyone. Um, you speak for yourself, so just stop right there. If you're not willing to discuss this, say so right now, and kick me out of the call because you're not willing to take the criticism. Is that clear? Uh, well, so, hang on a minute. No, hang on. I'm the person kicking people out of the call, so... You know, you don't play the victim before you've been victimised. You've not been kicked out of a call or anything. He's, I asked him if he would like, if he would discuss it. He said he doesn't mind. So, you know, it, if it's, it's been represented very quickly, just say, this is what Thunderfoot said she was saying, and then you tell us what she was really saying. But, you okay. know, be brief. I don't, I don't obviously want an hour video of it. Just no, um, I'll keep it as brief as possible. Um, the clip that Thunderfoot used uh, omitted the fact that Rebecca Watson was talking in relation to someone who had uh, issued a death threat against her. That person then lost their job because of that threat. Therefore, the employer thought it was a sufficiently serious uh, breach of conduct that they would fire this person. The uh, complaints, a, a complaint was lodged with the police station about this. This person then went on to attend the conference where Rebecca was a speaker and she said it is because of this um, that she went around with friends late at night. Thunderfoot decided to leave this entirely out of his video. Therefore, I suggest that he has misrepresented her seriously and unfairly. And that is my point in short. If you want so you think there was actually a credible threat on her that she actually had to go around with someone else? Yes. yes. Bullshit. Yes, Why is it bullshit? So the employer thinks there's a credible threat. The police are willing to file a report on it. It's bullshit that I think there's a credible threat. Are you joking? Uh, Alfred, can you mute, can you mute your blog TV, please? Or you will be blocked. Yeah. Thank you.
Please if continue. that's your argument, then really, what is there to say to you? But that's a joke. Well, well, okay. Let, let, let me put a, a counterclaim. Um, I called the police saying that I've had um, someone. I mean, what, what was the report that was filed with the police? I'm not aware of exactly what the report. Well, was. what the but fuck are you talking about then? How do you sorry. know if it was credible? If you don't even know what was actually said to the police, what was well, filed? How would you suggest that I get hold of the records? Mm. Um, you are it, aware it, of what she said. You are aware that she said she filed a report with the police. You are aware let, that the employer fired this individual. Or are you not? Refer people to a particular resource, all right? Um, whether you agree with, with Thunder or not, Michael Nugent has, has done an analysis of the part one of his feminism video. Uh, he does take Thunder to task on context. Now, if you've made videos, you know that when you go to put a video together, there's often not enough time to analyze an entire video in full context and somehow place it within that context in a short snippet. Um, I think that what was said was reflective of what Thunder was trying to say, which is this, this sort of atmosphere of paranoia. Uh, if you read Michael Nugent, he goes into much greater detail in the video, which does involve uh, a threat, and the threat was really uh, a name that was used, the, the C word, if you will, uh, and it was tracked back. There was no response from the FBI. There was no response from the local police. And that was the context in which the statement was made. But I don't think this is an intentional misstatement of what Thunder was trying to illustrate, which was the presentation that she felt at threatened, she felt uh, under threat at any of these conferences. And I, I think that was the message that was trying to be conveyed. The, 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 video the threat being portrayed is completely disproportionate. Sorry. Yeah, the, the representation of the level of threat is completely non-representative of the actual hazard, the actual threat, sorry. So, so deciding you're going to go around with friends at 2 in the morning because of the threat, the threat that uh, evidently caused someone to lose uh, their job, according to Watson, is, oh, right. okay. is, is so, an unproportionate so, so, response, in your opinion. What are the details opinion? there? What are the details there? I'm not aware of any further details, are you? Uh, right, so you, you've just got a story from Watson. Is that are right? You, are, you, are you saying she's lying? But yes, that is right. Uh, I, I know... Uh, shift, but, of, shift, of, uh, shift of responsibility for proof there. Are you can you prove there is no God? Can you prove that this well, didn't happen stop, and she's stop, lying? Stop, this has got nothing to do with can I prove whether there's a God or not? No, um, no, oh, it was, I was being facetious. What I was saying is you're, you're claiming that this terrible thing happened and then someone says, how do you know? And you say, I heard it did. That, uh, that's yeah, the point. I heard it from but her. Your reply, okay. But your reply was, can you prove it didn't happen? Which, of course, you know, is a... Oh, well, no, I can't prove it didn't happen. So what I'm asking is, are you saying she's a liar? Are you saying you need some sort of empirical proof for her saying that she got a death threat? I don't think there's any real doubt. I mean, how much of that video have you watched? Uh, about 15 minutes. Right, I watched it all. Um, I can say that there are things in there that are grotesquely misrepresented, misrepresentative of reality. And whether she's a liar or not, of course, depends on intent. 
um, I can't actually speak to her intent, but I can say that uh, there are things that she says in there, like, for instance, her, how she recounts what Dawkins said to her. Now, what did she say? Oh, that Dawkins rebuked her and said that uh, she had no right to claim that women should be treated as individuals. Now, that is such a grotesque misrepresentation of what actually happened um, that uh, I, I don't, I find it very difficult to contrive that she is not being intentionally misleading about this. Uh, she is um, exaggerating to this to the point where it bears almost no representation of the original events that happened to parlay it into this um, discourse that there is this great threat to women in the secular community. And I think that's just bullshit. Um, well, I'll agree with you. you no, 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 hang on, hang on. Let me, let me, let me finish hmm. that. Um, you actually uh, go to any of these conferences and they are some of the most liberal, uh, socially acceptable events you can imagine. Um, I've I've never really seen anything that I would class as, as sexism at them. Uh, and let, I mean, come on, this Amy Roth thing where, you know, harassment for her was someone wearing a T-shirt saying that I'm not a skeptic. I'm uh, I'm not a woman skeptic. I'm a skeptic. And that for her was deeply offensive and yeah, one of the things that actually made her leave the conference early in tears or whatever. Now, Doctor, um, I don't know if you know who that lady was. That was Harriet Hall, the skeptic. Uh, she yeah, was one, and, of, you know, one of the top women skeptics uh, yeah, invited who, to speak. Actually, she's a, go ahead. No, no, you finish. She's a, she's an air, was a retired Air, Fo air Force flight surgeon. So she was a doctor in the Air Force uh, at a time when that was almost unheard of. So she has been a feminist her entire life, and I, I think that her stand against this idea that people were not, what women were not welcome uh, or didn't feel comfortable, she wanted to take a strong stand against, uh, I, I think that says even more uh, that, that Harriet Hall felt very comfortable um, that we shouldn't give in to that, that sense of fear and paranoia. And I would I would add to that that um, she would have gone through the era yeah the sort of tailhook scandal era of uh, real sexism in uh, the Air Force. She was Air Force, yeah. yeah uh, yes, Air Force. Right, well, yeah, uh, yeah. You look at the tailhook scandal. Um, yeah, that's that's what real uh, sexual harassment looks like. Um, and, you know, it's now so flat, such a level playing field that you really have to go and look around for things to be offended by to say that there is any sexism at these events at all. Um, so this, uh, this death threat, the way I see it is if anyone on YouTube is going to get killed, Thunderfoot will be first. <laughs> so, you know... If ever, if ever a actually, I, actually a, a correction. Someone's just put in Telhook was Navy, so I'm sorry about that. So, you know, I, ju I just, right, okay, death threats come in. Is Thunderfoot still alive? Yes, okay, won't take it too seriously yet. 
he just and wants to I do exactly the same thing. Look, there are lots more high priority targets than me, right? Um, I'm not even so sure I would um, make it into, you know, this guy's not even worth a bullet. And I see Rebecca Watson as, um, why would you even bother? She's, well, she's, she's just... She's, oh, if she's upset oh, anyone, it's got to be a group of less extreme people than you've upset, I'd imagine. I think I think you assume that uh, someone that would actually carry something like that out is rational to begin with. Um, quite frankly, someone that carries something like that out is probably not the most rational person. Um, yeah, point that I made last which, week, if I remember rightly. Uh, look, I, I don't think these conventions are fraught with uh, whatever it is, rape or or um, things of this nature, I really don't think they're fraught with it. But conversely, I'm not, I'm not, by and large, I'm not opposed to um, a set of rules to go by. Something that's clear and intelligible to, to, to the conference goes wouldn't be a bad thing. Many conferences, in fact, all reasonable conferences I would expect would have some sort of, um, some sort of rule set to govern um, how participants should behave and what is acceptable and what isn't. And if you break rules, they reserve right to entry, of course. Yeah, I mean, that's it, is they should have a book with acceptable chat lines. And God, not only, not only, a set of rules. Not only then would, you know, people know what they can't say, but people who are really crap at pulling would have a list that they could go through and try to pull someone. I, I, like, I like that, the, um, the, the feminist-approved book-up chat up lines. <laughs> Well, yeah, here's I, think, I think you're being very childish to to say that it, uh, that something like this would in Rima's extent to chat up lines. I mean, very simple, basic things. Even even if they're not really occurring, is there really such a problem in highlighting that it's not acceptable? I mean, is there really such a problem? Even if even if the occurrences are so well, not that it's once in a blue moon, why yes, not write that? And and for the exact reason that I actually. Uh, highlighted in in the video, the video that I put out. In fact, it's twofold. First of all, is the loss of resources. Right, that if you spend your time writing policies like this for events that don't happen, then that takes the time to write the policies. The policy is, of course, pointless to have unless the conference goers actually know it exists and have read it. And I've been to conferences where, on paper, there was a a policy, but no one ever read it. So, I mean, a policy that no one's even read is unlikely to be adhered to by anyone. Um, so there's the, the loss of resources known. like that. There is also, and I think this is the, the, the big problem or the bigger problem, is that it's an absolute mood killer. Um, if you want people to go to a conference and have a good time, the last thing that you want to do is to actually sort of say things like we're against knife attacks at our conference. You know, it, it's against the, uh, the, the the conference policies to attack your follow, fellow attendees with a knife. I mean, well, if, if you think, saw a policy true. like that, I mean, you would, you would, of course, be in favor of such a policy because yeah. uh, who would want to, like, oppose knife attacks? Yeah, I, I agree with you, but I think it's somewhat of a childish view to to think that such. No, no, no. This is very much that there are people. We wish to engender an atmosphere of blah 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 blah, um, etc., etc., etc. It wouldn't be phrased in such 
just point blank terms, oh, well, please don't shoot anyone at our conference. Obviously, it's not happening. If shooting people were a rampant occurrence, it's like, okay, we should definitely write in, don't shoot people. Um, conversely, in terms, in terms of rape or something like this, we shouldn't obviously write in, oh, well, please don't rape people, because guess what? It's not endemic to the conference scene. I accept this from you. I have no problem. Um, but simply setting out a brief uh, code of conduct, I believe, can be conducive to conferences. And moreover, it can give those who are not sure, who are new to conference scenes, uh, a sense of security, a sense that the conference organizers actually do care about their well-being, and it's not just to put out to get some money. Um, so I, I do see value in such policies if they are correctly implemented and correctly written down. Okay. And I do as well. I just, I just want to say Thunder and I might disagree a little bit on uh, some of the things, but I, I agree that a, a policy should actually protect all parties. There should be something in there about, you know, what is normal, healthy, happy, fun activities and, and where it crosses the line so that everybody knows what's okay and what's not okay. What's not okay is like Booth Babes was, was something that a lot of people were talking about recently. Is this a conference where we allow women to sort of be greeters at, you know, dress skimpily? What, what's an acceptable uh, dress code for the meeting? You know, it's, it's, it's not necessarily there to punish people. It's there to establish when you won't be punished. It's, it's there to establish basically what is an acceptable code of conduct. And, and I think it's a matter of how it is written. Now, I think Thunder made a good point to me in a, in a private conversation another time that some of the wording in these was a bit over the top, a, a bit overly restrictive. But, you know, Thunder and I both go to scientific conferences where these kinds of things are implicit. They're, they're written on paper somewhere, but no one ever goes to check them because it's pretty clear what the code of conduct is. We don't have to draw people's attention to these things. And most importantly, and I think this is overlooked so often, anything which is explicitly uh, uh, against the law really doesn't have to go in a policy statement because it's already assumed that anything that is against the local law is also against local policy unless you're the, I guess, the mob, right? In which case, they would be in direct contradiction, right? I, I don't think you have to spell out sexual assault is not okay at our meeting. The hotel will have that restriction. The uh, local state and, and police will have that restriction. Now, you can spell out what the consequences are from the point of view of that organization. Um, but I, I actually am in favor of policies which make clear what are acceptable and unacceptable behaviors and what the consequences are from the point of view of that organization. I mean, this goes back almost to the very first post I ever made on this, which is actually on Freethought Blogs, where I basically advocated um, that uh, yeah, the de facto policy that's um, enforced, at, well, not enforced, that actually exists um, at these places is management reserves the right to refuse admission. That's all you ever need. I mean, these things are usually so specific, uh, so instant specific, that it's virtually impossible uh, to actually write down rules as to what's acceptable, what's unacceptable. Um, and so, you know, if you've got someone who is being a jerk and uh, making themselves a pain, you can go and have a word with them. Uh, yes, the first line of response, and that's if they you know, tell them that what they're doing is unacceptable, and if they keep doing it, they'll be thrown out, and if they keep doing it, they get thrown out. 
Yeah, that's all you really ever need. You do not need to highlight such uh, policy because highlighting such things is it um, creates the wrong environment. Um, yeah, this goes back to what Dave Silverman was saying. When you have these conferences, you want people to go there to have fun. Um, you don't want people to feel that they're going there to follow the rules. I think what they just need to do is put a camera in the lift. Because then, like, you know, if the person... I think not, there already are. If then, only you know, we could get our hands on those tapes. Hopefully he'll, he'll, he'll uh, behave appropriately um, because he doesn't want to go to prison. And if she consents, then they can just put it on the internet or something. How long ago was, was this lift incident? It's got to have been over a year ago. God, it's ages ago. It's, it's about uh, two who, years ago. Who wishes she'd just had sex with him instead? <laughs> well, I mean, this, this cuts really. I mean, I, I saw this comment which I thought was really, really quite pertinent. You can imagine um, such an instance going in quite a different direction that years later at her wedding, she's tearfully recounting how this awkward man propositioned her in an elevator and it was kind of quirky and cute and, uh, and you know, and he was obviously very nervous about it and so on. Um, and they lived happily ever after. You know, the idea that um, you should uh, have universal rules against this, whether they're enforced by the conference or as, as Watson would have, you know, don't guys don't do that. The idea that no guys should do this to no girls because it didn't work out for her, or she doesn't think that it would work out for girls in general, actually, is probably about right. I, um, I don't see this thing going towards a happy ending much of the time. But um, it will for some people, you know. And uh, people are, are, are responsible adults, you know. If, if the, she, he asks her, and, yeah, do you want coffee? Do you go for a coffee in my place? And she says, no, that's fine. That's, that's the end of it. You know, I mean, there's... Um, I, I yeah, think the whole thing is under spiral out of control. As long as you're not standing to Dark Alley and going, <laughs> you know, you, you've got to have some consideration. Just, just one second before we carry on. Um, thanks for calling in, Robert. Um, Thank you. Have, um, have a look at the rest of Rebecca's, uh, the other three quarters of a video, mm. just oh. in case any of it like, discredits your argument. Well, as I said, um, from what I saw, there was misrepresentation, but I'll check the rest. Yeah, watch the other 75% of the evidence. Thanks for calling in. Yeah, I, I think the whole thing has spiraled so far out of control. I think that Rebecca, and, and I was, a, I am, I suppose, a fan of Rebecca from her uh, uh, Guide to the Universe, the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. She's a great addition to that show. I haven't listened in a while, but um, but you have listened. I've listened. I thought she was great on that show. I, I you know, I mm. thought she's an interesting character. Uh, I, I've got a, uh, yeah, I, I don't see this out of any. Mm, out of cassiness or anything, but it's just I've never listened to it. Um, and you should. It's good. It's it's a good show. But uh, you know the, the the response she made to it, and I, I think again in context, was nothing worth starting a revolution over. You know, it was guys don't do this. I'd just given a talk on, uh, you know, not treating women as objects. <laughs> Guy propositions me, and it was but, you know sort of I mean, getting her on, dry joking. Like of uh, the things, I think the things that are wrong. Can I just? I'm sorry to interrupt, but you know, 
personally, I was really bored of this over a year ago, and yeah. I, I'm pretty sure that most people in the world are bored of it by now, except for yeah. Rebecca Watson and PC Myers. The DPR Jones wants to say something, which will probably be boring as well. But, so yeah. we'll let him. We'll try Get to keep him brief. DPR. And then we'll let Alfred talk because Alfred's been really polite and he wants to talk about something non-Rebecca Watson-ish. Well, I, I have uh, remained mute about my opinions of Rebecca Watson because I do not like YouTube drama. Um, but the listening into the last 15-20 um, minutes of uh, the programme, I felt obliged to say something. Um, a couple of things. Firstly, I know exactly where Elevator Gate happened. Um, and I am told from apparently reliable sources was it that you? the person was involved. No, well, this is the interesting thing, Concordance. It was DPR what Jones. Let's start the rumor right no, now. No, no. Well, what, yeah, I mean, what, just, what just to be clear, were there was right, DPR, this, if I may. DPR, where were you at 4 o'clock in the morning? You were at that conference, No right? alibi. No, I'll tell you where I was. Um, I was talking to Rebecca Watson in a bar in Dublin uh, until about 2, 2.30 in the morning. At which point I suggested to her that uh, we go back to my room in order to do a blog TV program. Uh, we left the bar together. We got in an elevator together. She came to my hotel room and um, we did actually do a, a blog TV um, broadcast. Um, Aaron turned up about 10 minutes late um, and uh, he was there as well. Um, but what, what pisses me off is this. I see Rebecca Watson as playing a professional victim and I do not believe for one moment that she is in the slightest bit concerned about whatever threats that she may or may not have received, of which obviously I cannot prove that she has or has not. But if it really were the case that she felt so troubled, so traumatized, so um, uncomfortable at these conferences, why the fuck does she still carry on going to them endlessly and get on stage and give speeches in which she makes light of these threats? Look at the speeches she gives. She's laughing about it. Oh, you should see the amount of emails I get where people say they want to rape me and oh, there are others saying I'm too ugly to be raped. She's not seriously threatened by this. She's making a profession out of being a victim. And that is what the problem I have with her is. I do not believe for a moment that she's seriously troubled. And this idea that she's got to wander around conferences in sort of like some buddy way. And who's she wandering around with? Surly Amy or someone like that? Not a security guard, not a police officer. If these threats were real, or if she took them as real, she would not be behaving in the way that she is. She is outrageously playing the victim, and I have no sympathy for it. Okay. Thank you very much, Mr. Jones. Um, I'll up. give you a good kick in there, and um, then we're going to change the subject to something hopefully more interesting. Cheers. Oh, See you later. Go and do your homework. <laughs> Get back to work. Right, if anyone else wants to call in about a non-lift-related or elevator-related topic, please send a uh, contact request to Magic Sandwich Show on Skype. Um, mention in the comments what you want to discuss. Right, Thunderfoot, please continue.
Yeah, I mean, um, where, where we left off concordance, that, you know, she's given a talk about, you know, how she doesn't like being hit on or something. Yeah, I, there are a whole raft of things that could have gone, um, could have happened in the meantime. I mean, it's not even clear whether the guy who propositioned her was even part of the conference um, or had been, or if he was actually at the conference, had been to any of her talks. Um uh, yeah, and even if, it, if that had been the case, um, it's really down to sort of social interaction. It's just because she doesn't like being hit on yada yada yada. She might have uh, liked it. It, it. She, you, you can't universally say that. Um, in fact, how about how about this for a new conference rule? No one should ever proposition Rebecca Watson because she doesn't like it. Would solve all the problems. I think all the negative attention is partly responsible for her reaction, right? I mean, how many tens, I don't know, how many thousands of death threats, rape threats, assault threats she must have received, that would turn me into a crusader as well. And, and I think that this, this the response of the community is partly responsible for the way she is reacting to the issue. You know, if, if people look at you as the champion of a movement and you don't fully buy into the politics of that movement, I guarantee you, you will by the time you're the leader of it. So I think that we have created uh, a persona for her out of a response to the criticism she's had for what was a very mild incident. And it would be nice if everyone would calm the heck down about it and start acting a little bit more maturely about the whole issue. Period. She should just talk about whatever it was that she was talking about that presumably was interesting enough to get her invited there in the first place. Well, I mean, that that would be the way that I would have handled it. If you've got a target, you stay on target. You don't get derailed. And this is the other thing. If you actually take a look at the rape threat, she's now... Uh, published some of them. She's got this thing called the Page of Hate, which is all these rape threats that she has purportedly received. And it's an absolute farce. I mean, I can go through any of my comments pages and pull out pages of this sort of crap. The idea that this was what made her the monster, I, I, I don't think is realistic. I think that um, primarily this was, she saw this as an opportunity um, initially to have a go at Dawkins because Dawkins came in on this early. Um, I was quite rightly sort of saying this is um, out of proportion. It, it's first world problems, you know. Um, and you know, after that, you know, she's calling for the boycott of Dawkins products. She's saying that you know you've had your moment, old white privileged rich man. Now it's our turn. And she, um, I, I don't see that anyone made her into this. I, I think that um, she did this quite of her own volition. I mean, if, if that were me, I would have just ignored the criticism. You know, that sort of criticism, this stuff that is obviously trolling, obviously trying to get a response. Um, if you if you respond to that, you will get eaten by it because. There is, there is an infinite number of them who will come and play with you for sport. Um, you ignore that, you stay on target.
Let, let me put right. it in this okay, term. Just, uh, let's not, wait, 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 wait. Shall we just not last... go on to this? We've, we've we'll, featured at the I'll moment. I just on, want to I'll, do a quick show. So we're the Magic Sandwich show. Um, we discuss rationalism. We discuss religion, um, whether or not religion is ration, rational. Um, we, we talk about things scientific, and we sometimes talk about boring things like this. But we're going to change the subject now after the dinosaur is finished. One more comment, rational, as you're killing me here. I'll pass it to Alfred after this. If people are shooting at you, whether you started the whether you started out on the enemy side, if the bad guys are shooting at you, you're sure as hell not on their side. So I highly suspect that damage has been done in the community by both sides simply opposing each other. All right, and let's yep. pass it to Alfred. That's it. Everyone should just get over it. It's not important. Stick with the atheism and the religion stuff. And, you know, stop being fighting about silly things. All right, Alfred, hello, <laughs> thank you for waiting. I've seen you sitting there nodding and stuff, but you did it quietly, thank you. So, um, what would you like to discuss? Oh, hi, um, just wanted to introduce myself. I'm formerly Dragnot on YouTube and on uh, Facebook. Um, I, I have my own YouTube channel with barely over 100 uh, subscribers, woohoo. And I, I discuss a lot of things from the perspective of uh, black gifts and kind of that minority within a minority that uh, folks really don't understand all that well. So I just want to kind of, you know, discuss about exactly why that there is uh, black atheists because a lot of people see it as, well, you know, uh, either entitlement issues or or what's some of the other things? Uh, just want to be separate and special, and it's it's really nothing to do with that. And honestly, I I do hate that I have to label myself as a black atheist altogether. Well, well but, I I can actually understand the, the the I can actually understand why people would have black atheists. And the first time I thought of it, I thought that is that is really stupid. What do you need black atheists for? But I must admit, out of the black families that I've known, that I grew up by, they're far more likely to be Christians than the white families. You know, they're far, far, more, white, far more likely to wear their posh purple suits with their hair-netted hats on and go off to church on a Sunday. Um, it just seems that, um, well, at least when I was growing up, that black families were far more religious and... You know, you, you, I suppose you, it's kind of, it's easy to get, it's easy to feel like you're not understood, I suppose. Is that right? Um, it, it's, it's really, that's one of the many topics that we discuss, just that whole social stigma. People automatically assume that because I am black, I'm automatically going to be some denomination of Christian, which to me has to be one of the biggest kick in the balls. From, and a lot of people have said it on right. chat already, the same religion that was used to enslave my ancestors is right. now being outed mm -hmm. at our source of power. Mm -hmm. Do you go to conferences, Alfred? No, I'm, unfortunately I'm in the uh, military and I'm unable to go to conferences. Oh. <laughs> Would you feel comfortable going to a conference? Yes, and, and that's one of the things that really bothered me about this whole drama about elevator gate. No one has to put in their uh, in their rule book. Please don't say nigger. Please don't say jigaboo. Please don't say porch monkey. It's just common sense, and this is what really is 
this just really bothers me. And I was going to make a video about this because we're spending way too much time talking about this stuff where we could be incorporating different groups into the larger scale because atheism, when people say that, they don't picture somebody like me. They picture somebody like DPR. They picture someone like Importance or uh, Thunderfoot or Aaron Roth. It's we're trying to move away from uh, these social stigmas, move away from these stereotypes and get people thinking more and away from more of this, more this drama and bullshit that seems to engulf our American society. Bravo. Absolutely what, bravo. What, what perspective do you think? What, what are the issues around being a black atheist? What, what's different? Like, you think background or, or social perception? What, what's different? It's, it's different from a community standpoint. There's very few people within my family I can connect with that can think on my level. That is saying a lot and it's a little inflammatory, but it's true. I, there's, there's very, very little I can do to connect with people that think the same way as I do. Um, I, I did, before I joined the military, I did attend an atheist group over in Louisiana, and I had a, I had a very interesting experience. It wasn't anywhere near Elevator Gate, but it's something that we in the black atheist community kind of laugh about because it's not necessarily a problem, but it's something that it shows how there is a, a, a big disconnect between communities. I'll give you an example. <clears throat> like Just like we're talking right now and, you know, we're communicating, we're on the same level. But when I went into the group for the first time, there was this outpouring of, oh, you know, we're so happy to have, you know, somebody of color here. And the mood sort of changed to where it's, it's more slang, there's more, you know, you know, a homie and all this and that, and like, a lot more ebonics being used. <laughs> No, upon uh, this beginning. sounds so, so it was kind of like Colbert's black friends type thing, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's funny and I, I appreciate it, but it's just stuff, stuff like that is like, okay, well, we need to kind of move away from that. I understand the gesture, but at the same time, it, it's really unnecessary. It's um, it's it's only amusing for a uh, a few minutes though isn't it the first time it ever happens in your life because yeah. I'd, I'd never experienced racism against me um, until I went and did Arabic lessons and because I was the only non-Muslim in the room it was uh, it, everything was like you know it was a, if ever there was a mention of Muslims and non-Muslims I'd always be pointed at and if ever he said the word Christian, he'd point at me. I never even said I was a Christian, because I wasn't. And he'd point at me, and I remember him saying... You're oh, white you're to be a Christian. He, he said, oh, you're my best class, you are. All of you, your Arabic is brilliant. If you went to an Arab-speaking country, you would make friends easily. <coughs> even Peter. <laughs> Thanks for that. Yeah. Hey, Alfred, are you from the South? Yes, I'm from Slido, Louisiana. Oh, flat out. I've been there plenty of times. Um, if you ever look at a map and you look for uh, non-religious uh, demographics, the the South is is the big black hole in the U.S. It's it's all, you know, Boston and California and Washington. And do, do you think there's something about the culture of the South? I mean, obviously, you know, the whole uh, buckle of the Bible Belt thing. But what what do you think structurally is going on in the South that that 
brings that old time religion in. Well, it's a lot of corruption. It's a lot of just pure mental laziness. And from the folks that I've spoken to, they put so much emphasis on their religious belief that they don't take responsibility as adults should. So if there is no exactly someone just said it, Mr. Atheist guy, ignorance, pure ignorance. You have such an influx. If you look at the education levels in let's say Connecticut compared to Louisiana, it's a direct inverse of what it is. In Louisiana, you have so little education and so much religious belief that they cannot possibly take themselves away from it. It has become part of them. And that prevents them from seeing anything unbiasedly. As as much as we try to well some of us try to as thinking adults. It it really dawned on me when I spoke to a friend of mine from college who said that the Bible is more important than the Constitution. And that was kind of a a, a wake up call like these people are really that deluded. Now how can I ever hope to influence anyone in the African American, black, whatever you want to call, uh, community when folks like that are so hung up on this type of thinking and they can't tear themselves away, they can't possibly see anything wrong with themselves as long as they can go every Sunday and repent or wash themselves of sin or whatever the hell they want to call it. What you need to do is learn learn a really posh English accent, perfect it. <laughs> and then when you go in a room and someone says something like, yo, give me skin or something, say, I'm terribly sorry, sir, but I don't think a graft would look very good from me to you. <laughs> <laughs> We do have um, Sky's the Limit back. Oh, I'm got disconnected earlier. Um, yes. So I thought we'd keep him on. Whatever you do, Sky's the Limit, don't sit extremely still. Okay? So just keep wiggling and then we'll know you're all right. So we'll know. So, <laughs> can, can you hear me, yeah? Yeah, we can hear you fine. Okay. Apologies to everyone. A bizarre thing happened. A complete uh, power failure. I'm sorry. <laughs> I wasn't being rude. I'm back. Alfred. The subject has changed so much tonight, my head is getting dizzy. I've already changed the theme twice, as Martin Otter will tell you. But I'll tell you what, if you think it's being black, or it's difficult being uh, black in the South, try being Irish. Because I come from the most sectarian country in the world. No, seriously. I'll tell you what, no, I'm serious. I I posed it in a video I made recently. Alfred, you know what Stockholm Syndrome is? Yes, I do, actually. Yeah, it's when you're kidnapped. And your rights are taken away, and you have to take it. You end up coming out the other end of the victim endorsing that. Um, in the same way, the Irish did is sort of a British kind of thing, but only we were Catholic. It's it's a genuine question to you, really, with respect. It's, I I fail to understand. I really do. It's that that why is the shining light of Christianity, the white man's? Forgive the reference. I don't. I'm, I'm not xenophobic here. Why is it so strongly represented by the black community? And it's not just in America, because it, uh, here in Europe, I'm living, I, I'm in Belgium right now, I'm talking to you from, it's like we get people, uh, particularly from Nigeria, which is a large republic, uh, black, America, uh, black Africans, and the thing is, they're either Catholic or a, a, a Pentecostal or Presbyterian, and they are more fanatical than any, I mean, it really, and, and that's why I call it Stockholm Syndrome with respect, it's like, don't you understand that it was imposed on you, you know, to keep you down, even in terms of the rhetoric of slavery in the Old Testament? 
with really with respect why would you embrace that the black community and that's something that i've posed to myself back when i considered myself a christian why am i endorsing this system of, of belief if you want to call it that when it has proven time and time again to not be in your favor i had to go and look intrinsically very hard and do a bit of research on my own and speak to others as to why this is when you and you, you and people around you, people who are related to you and people you have known are in such a shitty situation that this can't possibly be life, mm -hmm. then that kind of shuts down you shuts down yourself emotionally so that you have to have some ace in the hole. You have to have something. And so that that like you said, the Stockholm syndrome kicks in. And it is a survival mechanism, is what it is. It is a survival mechanism by the black community, and it forms that solidarity. But I mean, I, I don't mean to trivialize it, Alpha. What I'm saying is, I, I, I simplified it. I'm sorry. But what I would say is that I know you had very little choice in, the, in this regard. Um, but if you think all the way up to the civil rights movement in the 60s, I mean, you know what fails me? It's just that I'm so angry at the white community, especially in the South, because it's like, Really, if I if I came from the moon, it's like so you're the white, and I, I know it's based on complete xenophobia, racism. But if you, it's like so the black man, okay, he he's trying to he dresses like you, trying to speak English like you. He adapts your church, he exacerbates or exaggerates your church. I mean, he's doing everything to try to integrate possible, and and the more the black, the African American community try to integrate, the more they were rejected. Actually, there's a, there's a program on TV called Who Do You Think You Are where they trace people's ancestry. And I don't recall... Actually, I think it was um, a footballer called John Barnes that they did. And um, could it have been somewhere in Jamaica? Um, the, of course, you had the, the argument over whether um, black people should be slaves because the Bible says you can or because the Bible says everybody is equal and surely they are humans. And um, there was a guy from the UK who went over there and he started to baptise black people. And I, I don't recall the details, but as he baptised them and brought them into the church, it kind of improved their social standing. Um, they, it, there was some self-esteem was gained um, they become more accepted as equals. I mean, obviously, there were going to be people who would walk out of the church, but the, you've got this white priest preaching to his flock, you've got to treat these people as your equals, even mm. if they're not financially equal to you. And um, eventually, uh, this ended up with um, people ended up with freedom and all kinds of stuff. So he's, he's quite a hero over mm. there now. So, you know, I suppose if... If something like religion takes you from slavery to freedom, uh, or wage slavery, as it's also known, um, mm. then, you know, it's, it is going to have a social effect. And, mm. you know, it is a bonding thing, and it is going to make it as part of your society, isn't it? So, But as I started tonight, before we were rudely cut off, it was, remember the sectarian thing you, you kicked yeah. off with? Yeah. Um, and it may be illuminating for you too, Alfred, because um, as I say, I come from a very violent country. It's a little country. Uh, we, uh, we, we made peace for a 30-year civil war, 
uh, based, um, it, it was about, it's a little, just about 20% politics, 80% Catholic Protestant. One of the most vicious sectarian wars on a par with Israel. And he goes, right there as the moderators, that's a, that's a Brahmi accent, is it? That's Birmingham, I think. Right. Um, yeah, between, between, between Catholic and Protestant. And what I'm saying is that we understand, because in a nutshell, I'll, I'll try to do this succinctly. In Ireland, for example, 200 years ago, right? Um, we had our own language, abandon it. Uh, whatever, adopt, you know, it just learn the English language, everything, English, 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 as in art, okay? And, but the thing is, we wouldn't, and, and the more we tried to please London, the more we tried to play, abandon the language, abandon your culture, abandon every damn thing. But you know what? We, the, the, the Irish, I say we, they wouldn't give up Catholicism. So the more they tried to please the English, the more the English looked down their nose at them. It was better to fight or something like that. You know what I mean? Just like, I suppose, the civil rights movement. But I, what I was going to say, moderator, uh, at the beginning was that, just go back to my original point before it goes out of my little head, was that, Sometimes, oftentimes, when we reflect on the drama that goes on on YouTube and the nonsense that recently I made a video on that, is that, as I said, in Belfast and Northern Ireland for the last 40 days, you know, the, over a protest about Catholic Protestants and, and all of that kind of thing. Real violence. I mean, real violence. And oftentimes, in my activism, blogging, blogging, everything else, what I, and I open this up to the whole panel is that oftentimes one of the greatest difficulties I have, and this is just echoing nothing more than what Sam Harris said way back. My greatest problem is when people say to me, Sky, what's the matter with you? I mean, why do you persist in making these videos? Uh, even when you, can, when you can, whether it's the Middle East or any other place, or the creationism debate in the United States, or violence on city streets in my country in Belfast, you get a BBC reporter because there's a wall in the middle of Belfast, everyone, literally like the Berlin Wall, Catholics on one side and Protestants on the other. And it sounds like Monty Python, but it's true. And you'll get a BBC reporter putting a microphone in someone's lady's hand, a Protestant, and saying, do the Catholics give you problem over the wall? It's absurd. And it's real violence and whatever else. So... What I'm saying is I'm not whinging about Northern Ireland as a cause. What I'm, it's a justification that when people try to sort of shut us up and say that, you know, I mean, what are you so animated about? I suppose you've heard the, uh, I suppose you've heard the, uh, the IRA anecdote then where um, some people were driving in the car and got to an IRA checkpoint. Yes. And they said, and they said uh, you Catholic or Protestant. Yeah. Well, I'm an atheist. They say, yeah, but are you a Catholic atheist or a Protestant atheist? <laughs> Absolutely, straight up. Alfred, are you are you um, openly um, are you openly an unbeliever of Christianity now, or do people not know? Oh, people know. I even have them actually on my dog tags. I have it's atheist right there at the bottom, and my entire family has lost many family members because I'm so vocal. Just as vocal as they are on Facebook or in public with their Christianity, I'm just as vocal does with that my... Mean, does that mean you avoid foxholes? No, I, I welcome foxholes. I'm actually a combat medic, so yeah. I, it's not very much avoiding them. <laughs> it's just that you've got the sense that when you're in a foxhole hiding, you don't shout, atheist in a foxhole all over here. Yeah, right, no, no, that, that's a good one. I'm an atheist in the foxhole. Show those guys. They've got a god to protect them. Yeah. I don't. <laughs> Moderator, can, can I ask a question? Moderator. I'd, I'd actually like to um, hear, you know, Alfred, what age were you when you decided that 
you weren't a believer in what you previously believed in. Um, how did you tell your family? How did your immediate family take it okay, or you know, what did anything interesting happen? That's, that's really an interesting question because when I look back at it, ever since I was probably three or four years old, I had my own set of beliefs. I was traditionally taught uh, you know, standard Protestant Christianity, but I personally believe that it was more like the Brahmin. There was a source, uh, or a loose, uh, a lucious, uh version of the Brahmin, and there's something out in space, and we all come from it, and when we die, we get recycled, and we go back to it. But I began agnosticism, and I'm kind of, I'm kind of embarrassed to, to actually admit this. I've always had doubt, always, always when I saw people falling over and shaking and playing Holy Ghost tag, as I call it. Ever since I was probably, let's see, I was in, I was in, uh, just graduated around 2007. I was probably 21, 20 years old, and I went to Yahoo Answers and I saw all these mean atheists talking. Just, just nonsense about religion, and I wanted to be the big Christian crusader and go and shut them up. And I opened the Bible and I, I tried to debate them, and I closed it, and I realized it was bullshit, and I threw it down. That was the beginning of my slow but epic descent into atheism and humanism. And I, yeah, I was probably twenty years old. That was it. Was exactly the same with me. I was um, a non-religious theist, and uh, some. So it was some guy, I don't know why I always say it was some guy in a wheelchair with no legs, but, you know, it was the sight of him on YouTube doing wheelies in his wheelchair. as really stuck in my mind and and saying, I bet you're a Christian and you believe in God, don't you? And stuff like this. And he really wound me up and I just thought, you're an asshole, I'll show you. And I went and, you know, committed all the fallacies, appealed to authority. Einstein believed in God and all of this stuff. And then... Basically, people taking the piss out of me completely changed the way that I thought about things. And I learned to discredit myself before anyone else could so that I wouldn't feel like an idiot. And I learned to, like, you know, work out the flaw in my own argument and did Einstein say this? Does it really matter if he did or not? You know, this kind of thing. So, yeah, I think, I think the Internet's a great place for uh, people to become unreligious. Um, the trick is just getting them to talk to you, and even if they end up remaining religious at the end, you know, it's still good that they actually bothered to talk to you, you know. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's one, one of those things. Um, it always seeps in through the cracks. Um, good arguments do fare better than bad ones, and I think that we've got the good arguments, and I would further say that it's um, almost intuitively obvious that we have good arguments because people who have good arguments don't need to put up these artificial barriers to keep their ideas safe, which is quite often what you get with religion. You get the dogma. You're not allowed to question or criticize certain fundamental concepts. They are dogma. Um, we have nothing like that in rationalism, secularism, or atheism. Yeah. Um, but Thunder, yeah. can, I, can I just say it might be you know helpful in that regard that I, I just think you know Alfred was saying um, I mentioned Sam Harris before and Sam I guess is unique in the atheist community that he grew up atheist in California he never was it's not a, it's not a pitching competition everyone but I think it's like 
For example, I don't need to go to the moon or have landed on the moon to study an awful lot about the moon. However, if I was sitting down with Neil Armstrong, good old Neil, the late Neil Armstrong, I would defer just a little bit to Neil because he was actually on the moon. Uh, it's just that, I, mean, I think that works. What I'm saying is that for ex-believers, I mean, I, I grew up Catholic, but I was a fanatic creationist, Jehovah's Witness for 10 years, and studied in the Middle East and Jerusalem and all that sort of thing. And when you leave, because when I left, um, my Bible, my precious Bible that I had built up for years with all my notes in it, in a moment of relapse after I was disfellowshipped for it after a couple of years, in a moment of personal weakness, the details are not important, I had an open fire in my house and I burned it. And it was the only thing, and in the moment I threw it in the fire, really and truly, not to dramatize it, it's a true story, there was a, the last, it's like an electric shock ran through my head of superstition. It's like... Hey man, what have you done? Just yeah. you know, you're going to burn in hell for this. But then I said, no, I'm giving up the fear. Actually, actually and, Alfred, and I I'd, I'd, Scott, hang on a sec, Alfred. I, I did actually want to ask you that. Um, mm. How, when, once you started to go through this process, was the um, the just in case option? It's a kind of just in case option. it's a cost versus benefit, isn't it? It's yeah. like well, the benefit is. I'll say I don't believe in God, but I'll still live pretty much the same life. Yeah. Um, but the cost potentially could be an yeah. infinite payment of pain. And mm. um, did those thoughts go through your head? Did you well, did you start? Was at that point did you fear hell? Yeah, I did actually. I mean, it's and really, going, I'm asking Alfred. Yeah, nobody just I know, you, know, just, you just told me. Yeah. You were doing your book burning, and you were thinking, "Oh, that's me on there." Yeah. No, I'll just wonder. But, no, um, but the, point, the further point, please, I want to make was that I mean, what I want to line was the was the the I want to stress to people the power of superstition. Once that meme is in your head, I mean, I was out of it, and and I got over it, and then I sat uh, like in limbo. And I read Richard Dawkins, and then I and then I was confirmed in my confidence. But it, it's like a junkie. I mean, you, no, you're, don't, like, hang you're, on, don't give us any, any analogies or anything, because I'd I'd like to hear. A real life thing rather than a, a drug alcoholic duck bill platypus <laughs> or whatever it is that's going to come up. So, Alfred, so um, did you fear hell very much before these thoughts go through your head? Or did you fear it more afterwards? Um, immediately, I had to recognize that this was my... Um, this, was, this was my true self-speaking. This is this, this was me. I was tired of being... False. I was tired of being disingenuous with myself. I, at that moment, I had no fear. Now, two weeks, I want to say two, two and a half weeks afterwards, I constantly feared being, let's see, my bed would turn into a bed of fire. Uh, I, would get, I would die in a car crash. Uh, I would walk outside and lightning would hit me. It's just all these scenarios that just started playing around in my head about how I would now die. Was just absolutely terrifying, and I had never thought of anything like that ever in my. I'd never experienced terror like that in my life. And upon that happening, that is honestly what really solidified my decision. Is that all those years, twenty-something years of indoctrination? Now this is what the result is. This illogical, superstitious fear that I am now having of a being that I no longer believe in is going to affect me and so i just became you know after that two weeks had passed and i became extremely angry 
it disappeared. And that's when I said, I am never in my life going to teach my children this nonsense. I'm not going to do this to my children because that is completely unfair. Why, why should uh, uh, anyone have to go through something like that just because they decide they want to change their religion or they don't want to be religious at all? That is terrible. And so, it yeah, if it's, so evident, if it's so self-evidently true, then teach them nothing about it when they're older they'll come to the conclusion all by themselves. You don't need, the only people that need to teach children something without evidence and be believed are the people that can't produce the evidence. Um, sky's the limit, I'm just going to let you go now, but thanks right. very much for calling in and uh, I enjoyed listening to your Belgium, Irish, I enjoyed listening to your Belgium, Irish accent. No, we, are, are, we haven't got time. I'm not going to talk about it now. No, we haven't got time to interject. Please let me finish the sentence. Please let me finish the sentence. Sorry, I'm sorry, but, you know, uh, we haven't got time for a quick story that's got 32 <laughs> commas in every sentence at the moment. Um, yeah, Alfred, so I, I experienced something similar myself. I actually didn't believe in hell until the point where I started to disbelieve in God. And then all of a sudden I was absolutely terrified of the prospect that I was going to burn for eternity. But it was, yep, my, choice then, was my choice was making the gamble. No. My, but my choice was, do I go for the eternity of physical hell through pain, or do I spend eternity in the presence of a complete asshole that would do that to someone, which my, is my idea of an intellectual hell? And I was just having to choose between intellectual hell and physical hell. And in the end, I just thought, I, I, I'm going to hate both of them, so I just stuck my fingers up in there and I said, well, I mean, here's, actually, a, here's a reason to send me. Have you read the description of heaven in the Bible? No, the, in Revelation, where I mean, it, it's surreal. Where there's the creature with the goat head, the creature with the lion head, the creature with the eagle head, and the creature with the lamb head. And whenever um, you know God raises his hand. The 13 kings all throw their crowns on the floor and fall to their knees and say, we're not worthy. Uh, and this goes on for eternity. And You've got to be kidding me. This is... Um, oh my God, I, well, what, I've made a mistake. Because, you know... I mean, just, this is, this is just, a bizarre just, thing. Right? It would be like infinite pleasure and satisfaction. And, no. And, no God, you know, if, if I would I'd never say, grovel forever, I'd have, I'd have stuck with it. Yeah. Unfortunately, there are no sort of, um, how shall we say, interesting chapters at the back of the Bible describing heaven as um, you know, an 1825 eternal dance party in Ibiza type thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah. sorry, go. So I, I wonder, if you look around the world, if you don't find a correlation between poverty and disenfranchisement and religious fervor, uh, I think people who in this world are being given the short end of the stick or who actually can feel the lash of a whip who have actually been uh, beaten up and kicked around, those are usually the most fervent believers. And because, you know, there's a promise of a reward after life and the whole concept of arbitrary whims of punishment or reward are consistent with their everyday experiences. Uh, and I have no doubt that that is a big part of the religious sentiment, at least in the American South, where poverty is, is structural. It's, it's part of daily living. 
and where you know the, the torture that people experienced was was very real. Uh, and the idea that it would even get worse after death would, would be a very motivating thing. The same thing in the Middle Ages in Europe. Uh, whereas you get a, a rich, affluent group of people, those benefits don't seem quite so important. You've got a comfy living right now. Man, it kind of sucked to have to mess with that just on the you know, slim chance that some point in the future would be better. So I, I think you can really understand that from a point of view of human psychology, and I suspect that's a big part of the American South uh, and, and the, the religious fervor of, of areas with high African-American population. Yeah, it's, it's, you, show me, um, you show me someone's life and I'll explain their heaven. And it's like people, um, right. people out in Mecca, in you know, dry, arid land and um, no, not much water. What's their heaven like? There's going to be loads of water everywhere. Right. Um, and then, you know, in certain slave um, religions, I don't remember which ones, it was um, the first will be put last and the last will be put first. So basically, you'll be served by the people you now serve. And, and it, it's always that case. And it, I remember the exact words. I'd, Dawkins had broken down all of the logical resistance in my head, but I still had something nagging at me that uh, I've just got to believe this. I don't know what it is. And I didn't realise it was an emotional thing. And um, um, Hitchens finished it off for me. He said the final thing. He said, it's not true. And why would you want it to be? And that's when I realised I'm believing it's true because I want it to be true because I don't actually want to stop existing. And then I thought, well, at the expense of other people suffering forever, would I actually want that to be true? And the answer, of course, was no. And at that point, I just thought, shit, I'm an atheist. And Hitchens did no, that I, last thing for me. Spiritual Hitchens. North Korea, right? Have you ever heard that? Spiritual North Korea? Yeah. With I Kim mean, Hitchens, did, Hitchens had some of these absolutely devastatingly succinct turns of phrase. And that one that you just brought up, you know, it's not true. And why would you want it to be true? It's basically... Uh, nail on head. I mean, it really has just hit the nail on the head. Yeah, a, a, an existence of not only are you, there are certain crimes that you can't do, but there are thought crimes which you cannot help but commit, and then you're guilty of them. I can't, you know, what kind of a sicko makes that up? But of course, that's not enough to disprove the whole religion thing. You've got to take into account that some really sick evil thing created the entire planet just to be nasty to people it could be true you never know it's just that you can't say that it's a kind loving person. all for vanity it's like he created all these people because he needs to be worshipped yeah how insecure I mean it's two things first of all how insecure do you need to be to do that um, yeah, even if you had the ability I instantly now bestow on you all the ability to create people to worship you. Who would do it? Yeah, and if you consider the people are so much lower um, intellectually and power-wise to you. Now, if if I could get um, really top brains in the scientific community to spot that I'd, I'd thought of something really clever and said, wow, we never thought of that. That's brilliant. I'd be really, really pleased. But... If I had a bunch of worshipping squirrels that just like run around bending down going, oh, oh you're really good, you're really good. I, I couldn't help but think, yeah, but you're just squirrels. No, I want that. I want that. I want, I want squirrels to follow me around worshipping me. In fact, <laughs> now that's all I want. 
Yeah, but only squirrels. Uh, uh, we should have never given you that genetic engineering lab. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Atheist plan for world conquest involves subservient squirrels. Of course, <laughs> and of course, the um, the Islamic idea of heaven is everything you're not allowed to do when you're alive. You spend your entire life not doing stuff, not having sex all over the place. Not uh, having yeah, yeah, I, I, the one the one that I was always curious about is how do they swing the mass balance thing with the virgins? Right? I mean, if you go on the basis that. 72 virgins if you die a martyr or whatever. That means that you're going to get 72 virgins from somewhere. How does the mass balance work out? Because I don't think that most people... That it in fact was uh, uh, not virgins, but the same word can also mean a small white grape. Or yeah, a that's, that's, I've heard it, but it's rubbish. Because <laughs> it, it also <laughs> goes on to talk true. about what big wide eyes they've got. And, you know, it, uh, sorry, but they're, 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 they're grape women at the very least. Well, I mean, that could explain why they're still virgins. Now <laughs> I look at her like, looking like grapes. <laughs> and all, all of a sudden, it's not so bad. I mean, we want the subservient scrolls, they want the grape women. Yeah, you know, you go around killing people, I'm going to make you have sex with grape women for the rest of your life. <laughs> she's been out in the sun for thousands of years waiting for you, and she's going to be out in it for eternity. She don't but I, I, I mean, this is the other thing. Um, if you have sex with the virgin in heaven, are they still a virgin? Um, the, according to the, um, the classical scholars, um, as soon as you have sex with them, their hymen repairs and they become virgins again. Um, and every time you have sex, it's more delicious than the last time you had sex. Um, uh, you for you all for them. That never ends. I, I've, I've got a bit... That, that, that sounds really... Uh, I mean, you can tell this was written by men. <laughs> yeah. Um, but... That's not explicitly in the Quran. He doesn't say that in the Quran. That's just like, you know, what what scholars have said over the years, oh, it's going to be great because the virgins are... Well, there's 72 virgins. I'm going to be there for infinity. You could say within about a year, they're probably not all going to be virgins. Actually, this was one of the great replies, uh, or one of the great images that came up on one of the, the Draw Muhammad Day, is yes, this picture of this really hot-looking, dirty girl, or the caption, one, um, one dirty... Uh, woman here on earth um, is worth more than 72 in heaven for eternity. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You want you want someone who knows what she's doing, don't you? Um, right. I'm going to bring one more person on. Um, it, I wouldn't have normally have brought him on this late, but it's it's someone who's got um, a special disability. Um, the charity's asked if we could bring him on. Um, now, be kind to him because um, you know he just wants to sing us a song or something. I'm not sure. Um, what was it, Barbar Bar, Black Sheep? You wanted to sing? I'm not entirely sure why I deserve such grief, but uh, I, I didn't think you were going to end. Cut him off. He's a troll. The reason you get this grief is because whenever I'm doing the gin and tonic show, and I look over my shoulder, it's always you talking to my wife about knickers. Oh, I think that's a little bit harsh. You just no, I just wanted to congratulate you on, panties. on doing a, a, a much better job than that usual host that this show has. Um, and uh, I think it's been a very interesting discussion. But have we got another caller in? I'll, I'll 
pipe down until no, no. we're done. We've, we've had all our callers. Oh, okay. Did, did you have work to do, DPR? I'm trying to do it, but uh, I'm being slightly sidetracked. But I think it was a great show. Does everyone give a thumbs up for uh, Rushlizer, who kindly stepped in for me uh, this evening? Um, I think he well deserves it. I miss the more um, impressive mustache, though. Well, you know, you, you, you kind of get tired of eating it. <laughs> I was interested, though, in the caller, and I, I, forgive me, I forget his name, um, who... Um, from theism, uh, I was interested to know how long it had uh, taken him, and I don't think um, he ever actually said that, did he? No, he did. Alfred, he's, he's still on. He's oh, still Alfred, are yeah. you still with us? Oh, yes, okay. Can I ask you then, Alfred? Um, you talked, I think you said you were about 20 when you first started having doubts. Um, most people I talk to uh, tell me that the sort of like conversion program uh, or uh, experience can take many years. How, how long was it for you? Well, I've, I've never fully committed myself to Christianity, so it was a slow, slow descent, I guess you could say. Around 20 years old, where it all kind of uh, culminated, and I just completely shut off. But it was, I, there were several pieces of, um, I guess, scenarios, you could say, throughout my life that, that contributed to my descent. And I, actually, I think I made a YouTube video about it, honestly, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, that goes into more detail, but it, it took many, many years. Because, like I said, my my family is all Christian, missionaries, pastors, you name it. What, what, I don't what, what, to have you, Yeah, I don't know if this is I don't know if this is normally permitted or not, but I think you should get to say what your YouTube channel name is. Yeah, um, no, well, I, I was just going to say if you would like to um, send us a, a link to your YouTube, YouTube channel, we'll uh, include it in the. Um, description of the videos when they're subsequently posted. Um, yeah. Oh. Also, also say the name of the channel for the visually impaired. Visually impaired. Name the channel. It's self name. Uh, it's honestly just uh, called Dragnot. Um, my YouTube name is Dragnot Silvis, and if anyone types in my name on YouTube, you will run across my. Um, I, I feel very privileged actually that. Uh, that Thunderfoot would ask for my YouTube channel. I, that's that's a big whoop for me. Appreciate that. Drag not silver. I, I missed the name. Can you spell it? D R A G N A U C T. And if you put it in the chat, someone will be able to put it above the comment window on Blog TV, so everyone will be able to see it. Um, yeah. But no, I was very interested in your account. And um, and sorry, as I say, I was um, oh, only not paying attention to the program. But did you, I think you mentioned something about the effect of uh, your relationships with friends and family as a result. Well, that I've probably lost one family member. I, I, on average, I lose one family member on Facebook and basically in real life, probably one every three months. Just because I am just as relentless as they are with their belief. And I've been contacted by my mother several times saying that I should tone down because what I say on Facebook when I say in person is so offensive. But I counter it every time with, well, okay, everyone else in our family can post and say whatever they want about their religion without regard to me 
and considering that I might find that their religion is disgusting and grotesque, and I do, and I've openly said that. So there's this, there, there's just this obvious disconnect there with my feelings as opposed to the rest of our family. And they, they get upset when I call them zealots, and that's what they honestly are, zealots. Could I, I, I add a couple of other questions, if I may? Yeah. Um, growing up in the environment that you've had, you obviously have a, a, a much greater understanding of the depths of these people's beliefs and what exactly they believe in, uh, your family members and your friends and associates and the like. Um, if there was any advice that you could give as to how to get across the atheist message to them, is there anything that you would suggest? Uh, as far as uh, other people coming out to their family? No, more, more as a matter of, um, I suppose, persuasion of two things. Firstly, that um, atheists are not evil, nasty, horrible people. And secondly, that their beliefs um, should be challenged. And um, if they are going to be challenged, is there any particular argument that you can possibly perceive as having any effect on them? Uh, the best thing that I use to speak with um, my family members who are more uh, less than zealous than the others is that I give them historical and empirical evidence as far as this. I use slavery as my, my kind of figurehead right there up to civil rights up until the recent uh, issue with homosexuals being denied rights because of the same religion that was used to deny uh, our ancestors' rights. I use that point of, point of view to get my point across as to why I dislike and I despise their religion. That seems to hit home more so than anything because it is such a touchy subject in our community, and so they can at some level understand why I feel the way I do. When, when you raise that argument, and I, I, I happen to think that it's one of the best ones because um, it's not susceptible to the old, that's the Old Testament, and it's not the same in the New Testament because slavery in the New Testament is not condemned at all. It's supported in much the same way as it is in the Old Testament. When you raise that argument with them, um, what sort of response uh, do you get from them? Oh, I get, oh, that was the... Uh that the Christians of the past, they'll try and marginal, <clears throat> marginalize them and use the no true gospel fallacy all day long. But I have to explain what a uh, logical fallacy is and explain to them point by point is that you can't try and separate these people because they are not like yourself. You know, that whole segregation thing that makes such a big deal about as a community, you, you can't do that to someone else just because it's an inconvenience to you. So once I raise that point and explain to them what that is, that kind of shuts them down because it's just a talking point that they regurgitate and they've learned it over and over and they haven't done any research. So that usually shuts them down really quickly. But in the long term, um, you, I presume, are not particularly optimistic that you're going to convert that many people or, or are you? Do, do, do you think attitudes will change? Uh, eventually they will. Uh, the younger ones, the older ones are pretty staunch. Uh, I think a lot of them are actually agnostic. Uh, and I'll, I'll put my own mother out there as being one of them. 
I don't think she realizes it, and I've brought this point up several times, but some of them are actually agnostic and will not admit it. And those are the ones that I can reach easier. Um, a lot of the ones that are closer, like my cousins, for instance, are closer to my age, are more receptive to it, and they are less zealot-like uh, than their parents and aunts and uncles and whatnot. Well, I'd love to carry on talking to you. I wonder whether um, anyone else in the um, chat wants to uh, raise anything that follows I, on. I actually, DPR, I'm, I'm really, I want to know more about um, what it's like being a non-believer in the military. That's got to be odd, because as a group, I think of the military as being, you know, pretty gung-ho about everything, God, country, and, and flag, and core. You know, that, that's all kind of part of the mentality. Do you, do you find that? Is it is it odd? Yes, and actually someone sent me an email a couple of months ago and asked me to make a video about it, and I did. And just a, a brief uh, a brief synopsis of it is that, ironically enough, I find more acceptance in the military than I do in the civilian world. Now, I know you're all thinking that doesn't make any sense. It's because of how the government does a lot to manipulate the media and we are a vast minority inside the military. There are actually a lot of agnostics and a lot of uh, free thinkers and people just in general, humanists in the military, a lot. Uh, and I mean people who have done two or three tours and have confirmed kill counts that are of uh, the free thought community. Now, you'd never know that without talking to them, but there are many and probably, I would say 15% of all the soldiers that I've dealt with are of, of the free thought community and despise religion at that. So, I. That's are you are I, you familiar with Justin Griffith, who we had on the show um, just under a year ago, who uh, was the organizer of um, Rock Beyond Belief at Fort Crag? Fort Hood. I, I can't remember his name, but. Um, He's a prominent atheist in, in, in the military. I know who he is. Uh, I've not had the pleasure of dealing with him uh, just because that our bases are so far apart. His is in Texas and mine is in California. I haven't had the honor to, to meet him yet, but I, I do know who you're talking about. And he is, I, I guess kind of you would call him the talk of the town on our personal military forum. There's an entire forum just for military personnel that no civilian can access. And he has brought up several times and many different threads. I mean, again, going back to Concordus's question about <clears throat> the military, you said that you think there was about 15%. Do you think that um, it is not dissimilar to community as a whole, where there may be a lot more atheists, but they just don't feel comfortable in admitting it? Or do you think the military gives them an environment where they feel more free to uh, come out as an atheist. I mean, the population as a whole, I would expect, would reflect the under 30 crowd, which are about 30% non-believer. Yes, and you would be right to a degree. Um, the military gives you an open platform to be who you are as an individual where it's, where it's granted. Uh, there's not much individuality allowed, but as far as your personal belief, that is to you. Uh, now, there are certain uh, programs inside the military, uh, EO, Equal Opportunity, that state that you cannot be 
uh, discriminated against because of sexual orientation, religion, etc. But here's the thing. The reality is that if you are going, let's say, for instance, you're an E6 staff sergeant and you're going before board to get your E7, there's a set of guys that have much more rank than you do that have to decide whether you're worthy enough to become a senior NCO. If for any reason they have any personal vendetta against you, you're not getting promoted. Now, if they're all Christian and they only want Christians at that certain rank, then you're not going to get it. So it's more of a uh, thing that they're going to keep to themselves more so than anything else. And if it is, if they do discuss their lack of belief is going to be among other uh, others in the pre-thought community and not something so open uh, that I would feel more comfortable talking about it in public. On a completely um, different note, I have to, to say, uh, now that I've turned your video on, and I apologize, I didn't realize it was turned off before, um, you seem to have the broadest shoulders I've ever come across in my life. Um, <laughs> what, I was I'm sure it's all, yeah. it's all solid. How, how much are hey, you hey, working hey. on? Is this harassment? <laughs> no, <laughs> you're not hitting on him, are you? <laughs> I wouldn't <laughs> like to meet him in a, in a dark alleyway. That's what I'm saying. If, if he took against yeah. me. <laughs> I'm actually 6'2", 240 pounds. But you're okay, DPR. He's a medic. He is the man you want to meet in the dark alley. Maybe, uh, maybe, 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 maybe someone's uh, message uh, me. He is the uh, second man just, you want to meet in a dark alley. If I, if I can just mention, uh, someone's just uh, messaged me that David Silverman is going to be on Blog TV in an hour's time, and um, I'm waiting for him to send me a link. Um, if you send me a link, I'll, I'll put that I on. I thought he was on, uh, I saw a tweet, he was on a show like two hours ago, on a show that basically started at the same time this one did. Yeah, are you sure you got your, yeah, uh, yeah. you your times right? Um, well, I don't know. Someone's, this is what someone is messaging with uh, me. So you're just going to basically, because he, he's there, isn't he? You can phone him in with um, cosmology questions about how the moon got there and stuff. Well, that, that's actually a segue into the um, last question that I had planned for uh, Alfred, if I may. Um, in, in all the, um, and I know your situation isn't quite the same as those that I'm referring to, um, people deconverting from uh, theism to atheism. The uh, experience I've had is it's a lengthy process, and then suddenly there's one thing that breaks the camel's back, and it's like, yeah, that's it. Uh, and again, I wasn't fully listening before, and I apologize, it's not out of rudeness. Um, did you say that, uh, was it someone else that uh, said that it was um, Hitchens? Oh, I, actually, I think it was you. Yeah, it's me. Was there anything for you, Alfred, that was just like, that's it? Yeah. I've had doubts, but now, no DPR, doubt. DPR, you missed the initial conversation. I, it was honestly going on uh, Yahoo Answers back when it was very popular, and I saw a bunch of evil atheist people, uh, you know, bashing religion, and I decided to be the good Christian crusader and try and correct them and stop them with my uh, holy armor of Christendom, or I don't know what the hell I was thinking, but I honestly tried and picked up the Bible, looked, looked in it, and threw it down, and I just realized it was bullshit. I couldn't do it. Do you, think, do, you, do you agree with me on this basis? If more Christians actually read the Bible, there'd be more atheists. 
Yes, there would. And I, I really believe that because uh, someone, someone is about to put it in chat, but the uh, verse in Ezekiel talks about, it's evidently a parable, the prostitute longing for the admission of uh, the men with the forces and the admissions of uh, something like that. It's talking about the prostitute and semen. And I had put that as my status one day on Facebook, and my mother had never read it. She had taught me Christianity for over 20 years, but she had never seen that verse ever in her life. And I, that, to me, was like, wow. That I, gave, <laughs> I gave this account on the last show, and I'll do it very briefly, but I'd be interested to hear what your response was. I was talking to my mother, and in fact, it was Christmas Eve. Uh, she's not a, a theist, she's an atheist, she's a member of the British Humanist Society, but when she went for her interview or whatever with them, um, she actually said to them, um, and was explaining this to me, that um, she thought that the British Humanist Society's ideology and beliefs were based on Christian values. And I couldn't quite catch my breath, and I asked her what she thought Christian values were, and it became abundantly apparent she was she was not... Uh, uh, fully aware of, of, of what was in the Bible. If, if someone says to you Christian values, what does it mean to you? If someone says Christian values, it means what's good for me morally and what's going to satisfy my personal morality that I can justify using the Bible. Yeah, which um, kind of implies cherry picking, doesn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Honestly, that's that's what I, that's in a nutshell, that's what it is. Because you could justify anything as long as you interpret it that way. I mean, I, I, I love the fact that you never hear from the pulpit on um, Sunday sermons uh, the story of Lot, for example, uh, and what happened. Well, you you might hear the beginning of the story, but you never get the end of the story where they end up. Uh, he ends up uh, in a cave with his two daughters who get him drunk and sleep with him without his yeah, knowledge. Yeah, that, that, that's just incredible. But he, yes. he, never heard he it, gets he. drunk and sleeps with both of his daughters. No, no, he just doesn't. to prove that they, the first one wasn't an accident. No, they get him drunk. He doesn't well, Okay, drunk. yeah, yeah, point taken. Yeah, it's the other way around, which is, you could say it's even worse, but you never hear these stories, and I wonder why it is. And Well, I don't wonder why it is, I know why it is. It's because uh, the church doesn't want to represent the Bible um, on face value, it wants to take that cherry-picking attitude. Um, had you ever heard, before you read the Bible, of Lot? I mean, there were so many other accounts. I mean, the the, the story of what happened when Noah got off the ark. Um, it's one that Dark Matter, for example, has done a wonderful video on. Um, demand that God demands that they go and have incest with each other to procreate. I mean, these are not stories that you hear at Sunday school, are they? Some of them are, actually. I, I honestly heard the rest of the stories a lot while I was in Sunday school, and several of the, I remember, several of the kids had questions because no one wanted to say anything. It was kind of quiet, and then we kind of talked amongst ourselves, and it's like, okay, well, if it's just the father and the two daughters, then that means you. And so uh, I remember one of them raised a question to the lady that was teaching it, and she kind of marginalized it. She acknowledged that it was a little disturbing, but it was just so, it's just passe. It was not that big of a deal. And that's one of those scenarios that I spoke about that really got to me. Is like, if you think incest is really not that significant, then 
what does that say about you personally and your morals? What, yeah, what could they not know? wait till Lot actually got back to a civilization? I mean, they, they must have gone somewhere to live afterwards. Couldn't Lot have, like, uh, waited until they got to a new place to, uh, um, did he really need to have to shed his seed so quickly? You know, when you look at um, the South in particular, Republican and Christian sort of go hand in hand. But it's kind of funny how far a lot of the Republican positions are from Christianity. And it's interesting to watch people try to square the two. You know, what Jesus is saying about wealth, how do you get from, you know, it's easier for a rich man to enter heaven than a camel to enter the eye of a needle. Where, where do you get from there to, you know, financial reform and, and uh their their opposition to welfare and uh you know social security and, and those kinds of things isn't it interesting that the the most christian people tend to be the least jesusian oh it's, it's it's easy to answer i could do it in one word context no of yeah. course i'm joking but actually um, i could do it even better than that it's extraordinary if i may thunder because this, this is a um, subject that I'm very passionate about. What really irritates me is the um, apparent necessity for churches to build bigger, uh, sorry, Christian communities or any religious community to build bigger and bigger churches, costing millions, hundreds of millions of pounds, and also for people to uh, build replicas of Noah's Ark at the cost of hundreds of millions of pounds. Just think for a moment how much good that money could do if it was donated to organizations such as MSF, Doctors Without Borders. Why is it necessary for these people to build these churches and not do as uh, Jesus says on the, the, the Sermon of the Mount in particular, um, have no thought for tomorrow, give to the poor and so on and so forth. You're right, Concordance, I do not understand it, it, it but it's sickening. Can, can we go back to the bit about sex? <laughs> um, so, imagine you've gone, you know her, you've gone through all of this ordeal, then you get off the boat, and this guy, this God says, brilliant, you're doing a good job, now have sex with your kids. I, I presume it was, was it his children or that he had yeah, to have I, sex? As far as I understand it, brothers the, direction, and sisters. the direction was for his children namely brothers and the sisters. So, okay. So, right, right. Well, go the and tell you The first thing that Noah did, just, uh, just to quickly uh, fill in the story, the first thing that Noah did when he got off the ark was to build a vineyard. He got blind drunk and he was caught masturbating by his sons uh, who tried to cover him up by walking backwards with a sheet. One of them seemed to turn around and there are some who believe that the one that saw his father masturbating or the aftermath of the masturbation was um, made black and that is where the difference in color of the human race actually comes from there we go it looks like we might be back Good. where, did, where, where did we leave off finished yeah I know I've got to wrap it up fairly soon um, but uh, I was I was really enjoying the conversation yeah uh, I think that you should come on to a future show I won't be here but I'm sure everyone will find you interesting because I did, and you know I, I, I really find Christianity so boring. Because you know, it seems to me that Christians generally don't try to make sense. 
if they're young earth creationists or something, they read the Bible literally, they try to make sense. Um, but if if they're not young earth creationists and the Christians, I don't I don't even understand what they're saying most of the time. You know, I hear words, but I don't know what the sentences are. But I, I, I think that that's a useful way to approach them, and, and in fact there, are, there aren't really any better ways, so far as I can uh, imagine. Um, and I, I think that um, advice for anyone who wants to talk to a theist, uh, your starting point is to actually get them to define the qualities of their God. And from that point on, I don't think you will have any problems finding issues.